and welcome to episode 100 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. I can't believe we're hitting 100. We made it. We're here. Looks like we made it! And, uh, I agree. Are we different? Have we emerged, changed people? I'm older. I'm older. You're That's married. True. I'm married. That's a big thing. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Yes, I, we're like... Just out of school or something. I know. I suck at Divinity Original Sin less. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say. It's I true. thought you were Just... gonna say that you suck at games less, and I was gonna call BS on that one. Yeah, that's, that's probably untrue. But wow, wow. Certain, okay. certain games, Rob certainly has developed an aptitude for. Oh boy. Okay, here we go. Uh, that's Stephen Meyering, Kingdom Hearts lover extraordinaire. That is indeed me. I live in Japan now. How's the Japaning going? Busy AF, but it's pretty great. Pretty great. Uh, there's lots of Facebook postings about you eating good food, which I'm like, I, that's cool. Yeah, uh, the program I'm in, I'm usually busy from like 7 a.m. until about 11 p.m. every day, uh, and it's nightmarish. But uh, the food I'm eating is delicious, so yes. Cool, cool, cool. We also have Derek, I just brewed some coffee to stay awake, Heemsbergen. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't be awake. It's just helping my brain. Okay. My brain. My 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 brain. My brain. Mm. Oh my god, I forgot about my brain. Hey, what's up? I'm still Derek Gainsbergen. I'm still Embryon on the boards. I'm still here. Cool, cool. And then joining us today is another Kingdom Hearts fan, so we thought about just getting rid of him. Uh, Peter Treisenberg, everybody. Whoa. Hi there. I'm Peter Treisenberg. I have Fury on the boards and Apprentice Kingdom Hearts fan. I thought he was just going to go retro encounter, retro encounter, retro encounter. Just like <laughs> I would also say, like I, I think beating Kingdom Hearts on proud mode makes you more than an Apprentice Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, fan. you've been here long enough that you don't have to be an Apprentice. I beat the original on proud mode for God's sake. You didn't. Yes, I did. That the original, no, did. the original, it didn't have a proud mode. Well, it I beat it on whatever the normal, mode. like dear God mode was. Well, when the when the first one came out in the U.S., it did have an additional difficulty over the Japanese. And I played it on that, and it beat the crap out of me. But I isn't, got through. Isn't proud mode though, like the year level one the whole time? No, proud mode is just super hard. Oh, that's hard. critical, it, huh? But it adds critical mode get, got added in two, okay. and proud mode in final mix one added the XP zero ability, and critical mode you started with it in two. Oh, I'm, man. I'm really sorry I did this, guys. I'm really sorry. You're not sorry. You do it all the time. <sighs> I know. All right, so this is episode 100. Uh, we thought about doing something special, and then I think we just kind of said, screw it. We're just going to do a regular episode because, you know. Well, I don't, think, I don't think we said screw it. I think our schedule said screw you. <laughs> well, schedule... it's been like two and a half months. I moved and then didn't have internet for a month. And <laughs> some of our guests are in rural Japan. John is being John. And then, wherever he is. And then Der Derek can't wake up Sunday morning. Shut the hell up, man. <laughs> you wanted me to get up at 5 a.m., sir. You said place. you were okay with it. And I was like, are you sure? Yeah, I, People I, say they're okay with things, but they don't mean it. Because <laughs> they don't well, want to disappoint you. It's true. I don't want to disappoint Rob. <laughs> uh, to, in my in my flimsy defense, I acknowledge that I screwed up. I mean, it's it's not really a defense. I screwed up. I, uh, I set my alarm, alarm an hour later than I needed to. And then... It was a it was a mess. But I even went to bed early the previous night. <laughs> Do you have any idea how pissed off I was? 
I did, I, like, we're just sitting around, and I'm texting you, and I'm going, he ain't awake. Like, it's five in the morning over there right now. You got to My, my me. damn phone was on the stupid uh, do not disturb mode that I thought I had disabled, so it was like, Rob isn't special enough to break through do not disturb mode, I guess. <laughs> it, it, I am not. I am not. So I will have to add you to that special group, Rob. That's okay. So I, I think we should just have a regular show. We, we got lots of games to talk about. Um, you know, I never had to use the do not disturb mode. Until I moved here, and all of like my like groups of people who are chatting on iMessage or whatever yeah. are active at night because exactly. that's their daytime. So I wake up and it's like you have ninety seven messages. <laughs> I'm gonna start doing that to you. I'm gonna start doing that to you. Well, like it doesn't. I don't use the do not disturb mode because it doesn't wake me up. But I wake up and I'm like, you know, I always get really excited to wake up and check like Twitter and be like, all right, who's told me that I'm cool or something? And then it's just like you have nine thousand messages disgusting. Well, that, so the other night, like, I was trying to play a game that we will talk about in a few minutes, and, like, m- one of my former students started messaging me, and I was just like, is there, like, a hidden mode I can put on right now? Because, like, when I'm playing a video game, like, I want to play my video game. Like, I really don't want to be disturbed. So, like, if I'm playing something and Steven just starts messaging me on Steam, I'm like, Steven, shut up. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's not like Steven, shut up. He just ignores me. That, that I usually do, because I'm like, I'll get back to him in a second, then I get all absorbed in my game. So, some of the games I've been playing... He messages me ten minutes later, and he's like, dude, X Games has some serious problems. <laughs> can, can, can we all agree that Wasteland... The Rob analysis. Can we all can we agree that Wasteland 2 has some problems? Oh my god, I, tell me. <laughs> I have never budged from that position, and I definitely still agree. Uh, so I budged a little. Um, so I, I got to play a little bit of the director's cut of Wasteland 2, and I was playing it on PC. And, you know, there are some quality of life improvements in that game. Like from now, oh, yeah, absolutely. Now when you select an, uh, uh, like a box or something, you get a radial menu of different things that you can do to said box. So you don't have to click on your trap disarmer, go up, disarm the trap, then click on your bomb diffuser, go up, disarm the bomb, then click on your safe cracker and send that. So you can now handle all of that in one set of clicks, and it automatically selects the highest skilled character that you have to accomplish a task. That is awesome. Like that right there, that was enough to make me put another 10 hours into this game because that was atrocious in the original release. Just not fun. Then I remembered how much I don't like the combat in Wasteland 2, and there's a lot of it, and that's when I stopped. I think the problem isn't that Wasteland 2 is, like, some bad game. I just think yeah. it's a really specific niche game. Like, and it's, it's weird. Like, we've, I've, we've talked about it before. Like, it's, like, a really traditional PC RPG. And where I think Pillars of Eternity and Divinity sort of worked to push that genre forward while still retaining the things people like about it. I feel like Wasteland is very much feet in the past of, like, this is a traditional CRPG with pretty graphics, with modern graphics. Um, and obviously it has the, I think the director's cut did a good job with, like, make, you know, interface fixing up. Because the game used to just be, like, open a menu to open a menu to open a menu to open a menu to take three steps. So I think it's definitely an improvement. And I think it's great that they were able to do the enhanced edition because I know there's, there's a pretty vocal base of people that really like Wasteland too. But it's, I think it's a niche within a niche at this point. See, I think what my fundamental problem with the game, I think Steven really hit on it, is that it is a traditional turn-based computer role-playing game, which is totally fine. But then it tries to have these modern things in it. So it tries to do, like, 
cover-based shooting and different things. And then when you try to put that new stuff, like that XCOM new stuff in there, but it doesn't play as well as XCOM, it starts to really jar. Like, you start to have the new stuff crashing up against the old stuff, so you're like, oh man, I only have a 20% to hit the, uh, percent chance to hit this guy who's behind cover. So I'll, like, swing around and flank him, because, like, in XCOM, if I swing around and flank him, I go from a 20% chance to a 100% chance with a damage bonus, so there's, like, this whole interplay of really moving around the environment. You try doing that in Wasteland 2, and you go from a 20% chance to a 45% chance. And, like, so you spent all this time moving around the environment and trying to engage in this cover-based shooting. You finally get the chance to flank somebody, and you don't really see a drastic improvement. So then the game really devolves into a Civil War shootout, where you just line your dudes up with the other dudes and just fire at them until they drop. It sounds like a classic TRPG. But but that's the problem, is that it has this, like, heavy emphasis on turn-based combat and moving around the environment, but the actual mechanics do not gel with that at all. And even well, you, you mentioned it when you were talking to me about it a couple weeks ago. I can't remember exactly how specific you made it, but it's that the environments don't really encourage you to use the mechanics because half the time... They're just open areas or hallways. Right. And so th there is this thing where if you get height advantage on an enemy, you go like up to a 100% chance with any weapon. So like if you get a height advantage, you will now devastate the battlefield as it should be like, you know, you have the high ground and a shooter. Everybody remembers the rock, you know, when they go into when they go into the shower stall scene and, you know, Sean Connery's like, you probably shouldn't go up there. And shouldn't the, go up there. I mean, and the Navy SEALs get wiped out like spoilers. Um, also, Michael Bean's in that movie. So it's kind of cool that Kyle Reese is in there and, and, and Hicks. I like that. But like, so that's in the game. Like this whole, if you get a height advantage on the enemies, it really does play into the strategy. And there was one map that like there was a sniper in a central tower and I had to like move around the environment and take him out. And that was awesome. But Steven's right. Almost all the time you are on flat surfaces where you can't take advantage of the system that they have built into the game. So it's like, what, what is the point? Like, it's just boring. Blech. Also playing yeah, that game. Also playing that game with a controller. Yikes! Like, dear God, yikes! It, Which is kind of a shame because I definitely think PC RPG controller controls have been figured out. I think they have been. We're going to talk about that in, in a couple minutes. I think they have been. They could. They they can still get better, but they have been. The problem is that the controller just flat out. The, the controls just flat out start breaking. Where, like, if you try to, like, move to a ladder, like, the cursor just forgets where it is for 30 seconds. And you're like, uh, that's a problem. Or even just, like, getting characters to stop moving, like, if you have to move characters, or you can't get into any p kind of position before combat. The game is just a slog. And, and I, I said it to Derek before we, we started recording, like... I'd much rather there was just a book called Wasteland 2, because I love post-apocalyptic fiction. Like, I, I actually like the world that they're establishing. I kind of like how it's strange, but doesn't fall into that Fallout 1950s retro thing. I kind of think it has its own much more straight-laced post-apocalypse, which is kind of nice. But then you start playing it, and it's just flat-out not fun. It, it is just boring combat that takes forever to get done, and it lacks any impact. Like, there's just a complete lack of impact in this game. And finally, I have to talk about the random number generator, because that thing isn't just broken, it is 
busted to hell and back. Is this, is this the game where it's uh, you just miss all the time, even with high percentages? Yeah, like you're yeah, you're okay. missing with ninety percent chances to hit over and over again. Oh, what's up, Final Fantasy Tactics? See, I don't feel that way. I, I hope that you were kidding. See, Final Fantasy Tactics has a numbering system that I like to call eighty percent. You're probably gonna miss ninety nine percent. You're definitely gonna miss fifty percent. You're never gonna miss. Really? You guys felt yeah. like you guys felt like the well, original Final I mean, Fantasy Tactics was bad about that. I don't think I think I mean in my in my case I can't speak to Derek's. I find that it's mostly anecdotal because I think that that game's percentages generally work. It's just it's more noticeable to me when I miss with ninety percent in that game. Yeah. It's also, it's been quite a while since I played it. It's and I I adore that game. I just remember that was the first time that it ever stuck out to me, like that I was playing a tactical RPG that had a percentage to hit thing and it seeming really off all the time. Really? But, yeah. It's, it's, I always felt really comfortable about that, but then I always made it a point to, like, especially in melee combat, to move behind the characters so that you got, like, the plus to hit. So, like, if you if you fight them straight on, like, you, you have, like, minuses and stuff, but if you, like, move around behind them and attack their back, it's almost always a 95% chance to hit. And I, I don't know, I didn't feel like the RNG was screwing me in that, the random number generator. I don't feel like it was screwing me in that, but Wasteland 2, it's like... I fire three times, two of them are going to miss, even though I have an 85 to 90% chance to hit. And that's just over and over. And and this gets to a real psychological thing for me when I'm playing a game. Like, this is why I stopped playing Dungeons & Dragons, is because, like, if I miss, I now have to wait. If I'm playing with, like, four other guys, I, I now have to wait 15 minutes before I do something. That's a very demoralizing. So I'm almost like, why not just make the damages on the weapons less? Like, if you want to draw this combat out a little bit, for God knows what reason, why make it so that you miss so constantly? Like, that's a demoralizing feeling. Like, I hate missing. I hate I, it. I, I think the problem with that, though, is that, and I've said this to you before, and I don't mean anything negative by it, but I think you just don't like RPG mechanics. Because, like, I actually find, like, I've played tabletop before, and yeah, when you miss, it's like, crap, I missed. But on the other hand, I also think the experience is not what are you doing alone by yourself on your turn in combat. It's what is the whole group doing. Right, and and that, again, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to lead into a game that you play co-op, so there's a very different feeling in that game. But, like, when I'm playing Wasteland 2 and it's just me controlling the party and I'm just missing, and, he, and especially in combat scenarios where there's just no way the the other side's going to beat me, it's like we're just drawing this out. Like, like, come on, let let's let's have a fast forward button or something here. But again, that the RNG in that game just feels like it's constantly screwing me. And if the mechanics that they've built up around this cover system do not seem to play well with the percentages, so you you have this real conflict in there where it's just. It's better to just run up and shoot the person instead of actually trying to play it tactful, tact, tactically. Where, like, XCOM would really punish you for that type of play. And I had problems with that game, but playing Wasteland 2 has made me completely reevaluate XCOM. It's like, wow, that, that game actually makes you feel at one with the environment and moving around and gaining advantages, whereas Wasteland 2 is just like... Pfft. I don't know. I hear that. I, I just... I... I want to like that game, and I just can't. There's a lot about that game I want to like, especially the cheeseball intro, and I say that with love in my heart. Yeah. But it, it, it it's a little creaky. It's it's It reminds me a lot of 90s computer RPGs because it really does have sort of all of the hallmarks of them. It's glitchy. It's wonky. It feels Wild Westy and has a really great concept. 
and then occasionally is not fun. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just it. I guess I, I appreciate that developers are continuing to make those kinds of experiences for modern platforms for modern players, but it seems like this is a case where maybe they didn't learn as much as they could have from modern game design improvements. Yeah, I mean, there's something about XCOM's combat that now, if you're going to play a cover-based, turn-based shooter, like turn-based strategy, role-playing game, whatever, you really have to bring your A-game. Like, they, they really killed it with their game. And how it feels, and how it feels visceral, and you're controlling the environment, and the 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 weight of your movements, whereas Wasteland just feels distant. It, it feels like I'm phoning everything in. And when you start missing left and right, or when things just go bad, it just it just feels wonky. I don't know. It just it just lacks anything. Something's real funny. Yeah, that's that's particularly fun living in a dormitory. But you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, so moving away from Wasteland Two, somebody wants <laughs> see. Even they think that game is a joke. <laughs> They're agreeing with you. I feel like we have to keep it in now. Like we're we're making a Final Fantasy joke, and we kind of have to keep it in. So you should. You should. Uh, Stephen, why don't you introduce uh, the next game while Tales I go yelp children? Yeah. <laughs> so you said co-op. You said a co-op RPG, so I assume that's what you meant. Uh, well, let, let's just keep going with the computer role-playing games first. Let, let's just keep going with the CRPGs. So you, you mean and I, I can't talk about how much I love Phoenix right now? No. Well, I'll give you a chance to talk about Phoenix right now. Okay. Let's talk about how much we love slash get really annoyed with sometimes. Uh, Divinity Original is in Enhanced Edition, which I have figured out. I think Rob is afraid to tell me his problems with it because he knows how much I love it. No, no, I don't think that's fair. That's I don't think true. That's... Yeah, I don't think you are at all. No, 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 no. I, I don't think that's fair. Uh, so we're playing it right now on PS4. It's a couple of days away from release. I think Steven's going to review the game uh, and hopefully carry my sorry ass through because I suck at it. Um, right away, I have to say that like some of the enhancements that they made are extremely obvious. Like The game looks prettier. The effects special are, effects on spells. Yeah, the special effects on spells. It's much easier now to read. Like, remember I said to you at one point, like it's really hard to tell. Like sometimes if you're going to be stepping into lava, it feels like that's way better now. It feels like it's easier to see where the pools of water are, and that stuff's all hugely important when you're playing this game. That's all based around environmental interactions. Like, it feels like a turn-based Bioshock in ways, like where the original Bioshock, yeah, I like, but original Bioshock, yeah, like you're lighting the pool of of water in lightning so that then you can like shock people and for me the biggest change is having the fully voiced narration now is perfect like actually yeah. actually the voice acting is hit or miss sometimes sorry yeah no go ahead no no no. you go you go you go yeah the the voice acting i was saying that yesterday because i'm playing it with my roommate too um before it was like sort of tons of pretty funny dialogue and sometimes awkwardly translated dialogue with no voice acting except for you know a few certain things uh, and it sort of made it feel like you were just talking to the text boxes. Um, now everyone feels more like a character. Like, the guy who's trying to get you into a Ponzi scheme side quest has, like, this hilarious voice actor who sounds like a snake oil salesman. And just, he's like, I've got some great news for you! And, like, th that's all done really well. Um, and it has more expository dialogue in places that just helps you connect the dots because um, the beginning of the game can be a little obtuse and like, what the heck am I supposed to be doing? And how do these events relate? And they have done a better job of connecting them now. 
Um, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> they also took our recommendation, Rob. Because remember when we went to see it at E3 and they didn't have a crafting menu? They're just like, yeah, it works the way it did in PC. And we were like, no, you should probably have a crafting menu. And the crafting menu they have is fantastic. I, I do remember the one guy was like taking notes while we were talking to him. Because when we sat down to see this game, like we were very honest with them. They were like, have you guys played the game before? And Steven and I kind of look at each other and we're, and we're like, okay, here's the deal. Steven has played this game a lot and he's really good at it. I have tried to play this game. What's that? I would I would agree with the former. Yes. I have tried to play this game and this game has like emotionally destroyed me. Like <laughs> it has just curb stomped me at times, but I want to like it. And so then we start playing it and I think you know, at E3 we probably could have sat there all day playing it because of how fun it is and it there is nothing else like this game in terms of RPGs like having this classic computer-style role-playing game that you're playing with a buddy. You, now you can play it on a couch on consoles. When you split apart, it goes split-screen. Like, this game is super fun, and I, I think that I would not be as irritated as I am with how hard it is, because, to be fair, I still think this game is really hard. I wouldn't be as irritated with the game's difficulty if it was me and Steven versus the game, and I'm, like, having a beer or, like, a scotch or something, and we're playing online together, versus just me playing it, and I have no other input from another human being. Because there, you, there's a lot of strategy. Yeah, and it's definitely, like, you know, you can control multiple people at once, but the game is clearly built for two people to be controlling two people at once. Because it's easier to... Because the, the, your characters are so diverse and have so many things that they individually can do that it's like to, to juggle four of them is a little much. And the game is sort of built around like two people going around town doing things separately to like get through things. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you even get the little teleporter pyramids that let you teleport to the other player. So it's clearly built around that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that I don't think the game is not fun in single player, but it's just, you're not playing to how this game is. It'd be like playing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign by yourself. It's not meant to be played that way. Right. And And, yeah. And that's, that's how I'm feeling right now playing it is like, I'm playing single player. Cause like, again, Steven and I have like a 13 hour time difference. So that makes life a little difficult right now, but like I'm playing it and I'm having fun cause the tactics are really there. But when Steven and I played it briefly over the summer, and, like, we're yelling at each other to do things, and we're coming up with ideas on the fly, and we're coordinating. That's a really special experience. That's something that is this game's strength that if you're playing it single player, you're not going to get to really see. Well, yeah, and you, and you don't get, like, the funny sequences of, like, arguing over what to do. Because, obviously, even if you're a friendly game, you argue over the little things, and they become quite funny. Like, you know, the fact that every time Rob walks away, I have to throw a fireball at him, because why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, and then I just come up, and and now I'm playing a two-handed swordsman, and I will just hit you or knock you down. Like, there's so many cool things in this game, but, like, I, I do feel like some of the things that annoyed me the first time I played this game a year ago are still not quite where they could be. Like, I know you're you're saying that the map is much, much better because now you can mark things, and you can put your own, like, little... Well, you, can, you can always mark things, but the reason I like the map better now is that, A, the minimap is way better. B, you can move the map and zoom in and out on it, and that make, you couldn't move the map, the giant map, right. in the PC version, so it was like impossible to find where you needed to be. Right. 
But that I'm still running into those things, and you were telling me before that, like, I haven't gotten a quest marker from talking to a certain character, even though I found the cave that I'm supposed to be going to. So the cave is not marked, even though I found it, because I didn't talk to the right person. Th- this game's very trigger-happy, and I, and I think, it, particularly at the beginning of the game, it's a little... It, it's almost uncomfortable. It's like, okay, I have to go find the trigger to get the thing, to start doing the thing and I'm clearly not talking to the right person to make this happen, that's getting a little frustrating because the overall movement speed in the world is pretty slow. Like, I have to now walk all the way back over here. Like, I have gone between... You, you have a, you have a, um, if you got to the cave, you should have a teleport. There's, there are gates all over oh, yeah. the map. No, no, the gates are there, but like in town, I've had to go between the King Crab Inn, the Mayor's House, Evelyn's, uh, Evelyn's House... And the Legionnaires like recruitment center. I've been going in between those because I'm trying to trigger the next part of the quest line, and I can't get it to trigger. And I'm getting like really, I'm getting antsy. Like, I don't need. I understand that people are going to say, "Well, we don't want every game to be The Witcher, where it's like, hey, you need to go here because the quest marker told you to." I get that. I like the idea of having an investigation. I like the role playing aspect of it. But sooner or later, I am just looking for the dialogue option that continues the game. Well, that, and that's the thing is that, like, and I agree that it can be a little obtuse in that way sometimes. But I think the problem is that it's off. Like, I would say it's that the kinds of investigation skills that modern RPGs have taught you are not really effective in Divinity because mm-hmm. it's not just find a person and get the right dialogue. Sometimes it can be like, did you rifle through their papers on their desk and find their diary where they were like, I'm going to plan the perfect murder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like, one, that's one problem with the, uh, the controller interface is that it has been a little scattershot in places. So I go up to try to talk to somebody and I end up stealing a basket and it's like, Oh, you got to hit uh, square. Don't hit X. Okay, I kind of had every legionnaire coming after me over a wicker basket at one point, and I was like, "Oh, for well, God's don't sake. steal that wicker basket." It's I, not you. I was trying not to, and and that's kind of what I'm delicately talking around right now, which is I I think, again, we're playing the game before it's out, so it it's not around yet, and maybe there's going to be a day one patch to kind of clean some stuff up, and we are talking about a PC game that's being ported to consoles for the first time. It, there's a little bit of jank, and I would say that it's a little uncomfortable right now. I, I, I'm reaching uncomfortable levels of jank. Yeah, I think I think there's a... Again, I have the benefit of having played it before, so I know generally what I'm trying to make the game do. But it, like, I actually I don't agree that the systems that they've put in place specifically for the console version don't work well. I actually think the controls work really well. I think they they're, do too. They're I think really they do com- too. They're, they're very complex because it's a complex game. And to that end, there's a big learning curve because there's just so many buttons and so many button combinations. And I think they do work and I think they're pretty intuitive. But at first it's like, wait, what? which button do I need? No, wait, no, I didn't want to close that menu. I want to open that menu. Wait, no, I meant to pick that up, not move it. Um, I think that's definitely there because of the complexity of it. Uh, but there are, as an example, uh, we were playing last night and one of our partner characters got in trouble for going where she shouldn't. And the NPC came to yell at her and then she was able to just walk out of the conversation without closing the conversation window. So we just went upstairs while the guy was locked in conversation with her, stole all of his stuff, came back down I did and, then got, too. <laughs> and then we got trapped in that conversation loop. Ooh. Because every time we closed it, he just kept being like, "Oh, you're still there." Uh, so we had to load. So there's there's definitely 
some, I don't know if I would call it jank so much as straight up glitches. Um, cause I think the, the systems and the UI work fine. And I mean, for me, like, I know you don't seem to care for the map, but I actually think the map is a huge improvement. Um, but there's definitely like, I, I would, if, 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 if this were not a studio that basically has built their modern reputation on making their games better very rapidly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a la CD Projekt Red, I'd be a little more concerned, um, but I'm sure there'll be a patch. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, this is this is also, you know, they were patching this PC version right up until, like, a month or two ago, and then they were like, yep, and then you're all going to get Enhanced Edition free, so... Yeah, I, I definitely I, think there's some physics weirdness, um, and some, like, hey, my character is floating through this wall, um... That probably stems from how complex the game is, like, a, you know, your Morrowinds or whatever. Um, but unlike the Elder Scrolls games, I expect this one will get fixed. Yeah, I, the one that got me was uh, the lighthouse fight, which, you know, you, you congratulated me on. I took care of that fight pretty, I pretty handily. I am, I am legitimately surprised, because that's not an easy fight. I, I'm getting pretty... So my tactic in this game is now, when I start combat, is to, like, move back a little bit and kind of fight on my terms. I think when I tried to play this game the first time, like, I immediately wanted to rush in, and that just normally gets you curb stomped. So instead, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be further in the game before you can do that, I think. Yeah, so instead I'm kind of like holding back and like kind of moving around corners to kind of lure archers out and then just steamrolling them real fast. So, like, at the start of that fight, though, I was moving my main character, who's a warrior, backwards, and he randomly attacked the air, and I was like, what just happened? And then he had two AP points and could not perform any actions or even move. He just got stuck. So... A flurry of obscenities came out of my mouth at that point. That sounds about right. Um, so there is a way to attack, like, whatever is in front of you, and it's a certain button, and I don't remember what it is. It's possible maybe you accidentally hit that button. Because um, we had that happen. My roommate has never played before, and he was trying to walk, and then all of a sudden he just, like, stabbed the ground. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, okay. Um, okay, maybe that's what happened. So it could be that, again, it's because the controls, I will say, like, they're not obtuse, but they're way complex because yeah. of the game. Yeah. Um, could also be a glitch. It could be. Um, I, but again, I, I'm on board with this game. Like, I, I think that I need to make the conscious decision to probably just play this with friends. I think it is a much better party game where you're working together. I think two brains actually do a better job of coming up with than just one. Like, you and I were planning stuff out really effectively when we played. And when it's just one person, I don't think you think of all the options. Because there are so many options in this game. It is completely overwhelming. Especially in the Enhanced Edition. There's Because, like, they've made things that weren't viable more viable. They've added two new weapon types completely. Like, they've added grenades there are water balloons now, which are hilarious. Uh, <laughs> they they added water balloons. Do you feel like bow? Do you feel like archery has been heavily nerfed? Because I no, re- I feel like archery is heavily buffed. I feel like the the base damage and to hit on archery has been nerfed, but like all the arrows, there's way more arrowhead types. But so I am there's... I am missing like I, we want to talk about the RNG again, like. I have never gotten it above, like, a 70% chance to hit on archery, no matter how far or close I am to the enemies. Baby archers do miss more often, but we, like, as an example now, we have an archer now who is literally hopping around the battlefield, sniping people, and, like, the damage, I think, is reduced a little bit, because they used to do a lot of damage, but they missed a lot, if I recall. Okay. Um, 
early game, it's more common to have a mid seventies hit ratio because you're all just baby characters. I I think they buffed archery quite a bit. Um, you know, but I didn't specifically see how you how your archering was going. So I don't know. Maybe you maybe you got really unlucky for a really long period of time. Maybe you broke the RNG. Now, how do you improve like your to hit chance? Are you just buffing dexterity, or is it also getting better weapons that have a better chance to hit? Like that's the, so that's one of the things that's very unclear. It's well, it's a combination of things. It's you know, you certain weapons that can give you a better chance to hit. It's by and large your chance to hit with a bow is affected by your bow skill. Um, See, but it, the game doesn't tell you that. It just says that it's your critical chance and your damage. It doesn't say that you actually will get a better chance to hit. Um, it's also dex. Okay. I don't know. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to check because I've never I've never played an archer myself. I, um, I, I just want to know, like, generally I'm, speaking, it's level based. Your chance okay. to hit is often the level of the weapon. Like, if the weapon is low, is your level but lower level than the enemy. Level makes a big difference okay. in your chance to hit. Okay, okay. I, I um, just, there's so many systems at play in this game, and there's the there's the feeling of okay, which thing do I need to improve to actually improve the thing I want to improve? Some things are are clear, like okay, include your increase your lock picking skill to get better at lock picking. That's fine, but like when it comes to damage or when it comes to like my plus to hit, it's like, should I go for archery or should I go for expert marksman or should I go for bows? Like which one? So, uh, in that case, the best way to think of it, everything under skills affects your special abilities. Right. Um, and again, you can hit triangle on the skills and it'll tell you exactly what, which is great, which is great. They Um, they have a very handy tool tip. That's very easy to access. If you are wondering about a weapon's effic- efficacy, then you are universally wanting to level up your skill on that weapon. Okay. Okay. And then you can also tell if you look at a weapon, like a sword or a bow, and I don't think it did this in the old version, if it says requires strength, then that's the stat you have to raise to make it be more effective. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm on board with this game. I, I definitely want to play more of it. I, I'm getting over the hump because apparently everybody says that once you've you've kind of gotten to where I am in the game, it starts to like ease up a little bit. You, you start to get a little bit better. And it's very much that old school. You start out as baby characters and then you get stronger, which is great. I, I still think that they could do a little bit of a better job explaining stuff. And may, And this is what's so hard to talk about here, guys, is that maybe that's stuff that's going to come with a day one patch. And we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it more once the game is actually out. And I also think, too, you know, I think they're pretty open to the criticism in this game. Because it's not a perfect game. I mean, it it has a lot of rough edges. I think it's just what it does well is so exciting that, like, that's why I think the Kickstarter for the second game was so successful. Because the first game is mostly successful. And the second game is sort of just expanding that. I, I'm willing to bet that the second game has a much better paced introduction that's much less like, what the hell do I have to do right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I We could talk all day about Divinity, and I, I don't. I, I want to give us a chance to kind of play more of it before uh, we have a chance to talk more about it. But overall, it's a fantastic game. I'm really on board. And if you, it, 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 to me, this is like the ultimate dorm game. Like, if you got a roommate in college or whatever... And you got you're looking for a game to play together. Like I don't see how you can't play this. Yeah, like, it's my roommate even said after like an hour I wasn't sure if he liked the game. He's like, this is amazing. He's like, this is a perfect couch co-op game, and I I, I agree completely. Like it, it's always great playing it over Skype, but if you can sit next to somebody and play this and look them in the eyes as you kill them over and over again in combat, <laughs> then you're really 
It's wonderful. So also, we, I'm looking at it now, Rob, and it looks like perception affects your accuracy when shooting over long distances. So oh. you might want to raise your perception. Oh, okay. Okay, that mm, that's a little frustrating. Okay, okay. I can do that. I, I just think that some of those things, like the real basic, like how do I make this better, could be spelled out a little bit better. Well, I mean, to be fair, all you have to do is select perception in the menu, and it's one—it's not even one layer deep. Right. Okay. Well, I, I hadn't even thought to do that. I was focusing on dexterity, but we're not going to make this into the divinity show as much as I want to. Uh, last game to really talk about super fast on my end is I started Witcher 3 uh, Hearts of Stone, the first DLC, and I have fallen in love with Witcher again. Like it, it just reminded me how how much was I there, loved that game. Was there time for you to fall out of love with the Witcher? Or? There was. No, there, there honestly was. I, I I really don't like the way that game ends. I think it's denouement. I think it's it's after the supposed climax of the game, it does not end particularly well from a gameplay perspective. From a character story perspective, I think it's fine, but the gameplay had really worn itself very thin at that point. And so you kind of lost perspective on the good part of that game, which is talking to interesting characters and, like, following Geralt's adventures, which is the really, really fun part. And I think they really lost that in the last couple hours, and I talked about that before, but Hearts of Stone is, like, it's starting a really cool mystery. It's new areas. The the giant spider enemies are really creepy and kind of fun to fight. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really creepy. The, the way they move is just like straight out of your nightmare. It's pure nightmare fuel. Uh, Spiders. But it, it really just reminded me how much I, I love The Witcher 3. And I think there's going to be some revisionist history on that game in the next couple months. And people, Oh, yeah. I can already tell. People are going to say that they don't like it very much or that, it, that I, the giant bomb guys were commenting on it like, oh, I just don't want to play that game. And I'm like... It, it, to me, that is the open world game to beat right now. I had fun with Metal Gear, but I honestly don't remember much of Metal Gear now. A month later, I don't remember much of it because it's kind of the, it is kind of the same thing over and over again. Whereas I remember story beats in Witcher Three, and those were really fun. Yeah, but there's not that much. I mean, if we're talking about just sheer density of narrative, there's way less in Metal Gear Solid Five. I, I don't think I, Metal, I don't I, think Metal Gear Solid Five has a narrative. Not. I, I know this is going to seem shocking considering how much I yelled at you for it, Rob. But I actually don't think I'm going to finish Metal Gear Five. I sort of don't give a crap about that game, and part of it is because it has basically no identity. Like it has a lot of like in its details has a lot of like the Kojima stuff that's silly, like when a box falls on you in construction areas and like good humor and D doge is the cutest dog on the planet, except missile from ghost trick. Yeah. And, but it's just like, yeah, all right, I'm going to go into another base and I'm going to choke out another guy. And then I'm going to go pick up a bunch of supplies and then I'm going to build my base and do it again and again and again and again and again. And then apparently I'm not going to get a real ending. So I, I've sort of, it's very repetitive. Yeah. And, like, it's not that it's not really tight. Like, I think, like it, like you said, it's repetitive, but, like, the mechanics are solid enough that I, like, and I, I was still enjoying it, but it wasn't like a Metal Gear 3 where I was, like, really interested in getting to the next cutscene. In this, I'm like, yeah, the next cutscene is just going to be Ocelot being like, Snake, you're important because these guys think you're important and you can choke them out, but they love you so much. No, I, I agree with you. I'll, I'll, I'll also uh, get Skullface. He's bad. They played us like a damn fiddle. <laughs> I, I, yeah, like, I just feel like there are all these relationships that they're telling us, not showing us. Like, why is Miller so angry about everything? 
I 100% agree with you guys, and and I only brought up Metal Gear because I think that that, you know, unless Fallout 4 blows us away, which it might, I think the fight for a lot of Game of the Year discussions on websites is going to come down to Metal Gear versus Witcher. For my money, it's really no contest. Like, I think Metal Gear is a lot of fun. I think from a pure gameplay perspective, like, that stealth game is a lot of fun, but it is extremely repetitive. I can't remember hardly any of it. Whereas Witcher 3, like, I just was smiling playing that game, and, like, that was a world that enveloped me for the better part of the entire summer. And I... I, also, I, I agree. I also think the writing in that game is head and shoulders above most other games. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think Hearts of Stone is really, like, this does not feel like... This feels like the right kind of expansion. This, this feels like an expansion where they just... They take the map of Novigrad, they make it a little bit bigger, so, like, some of the periphery stuff that you couldn't get to before, you can get to now, and it just feels like another adventure with Geralt. Like, it, it's just more adventuring with Geralt, and now it's not saddled with... I will say, I think the main narrative in Witcher 3 wasn't particularly good i think the side stories were better so now it's focusing in on a side story which i think is where the narrative works better witcher 3 almost works better as a serial than it does as like a an overarching like it's the sopranos versus like law and order svu like if you think of gerald as just a man going from town to town solving mysteries and problems it's like law and order when it tries to be the Sopranos and have this huge overarching narrative that like you start to lose track of when you start doing all these vignettes, it hurts the overall experience. And I think that's why Hearts of Stone, I'm enjoying it so much. Like I'm firmly back on board. So I don't necessarily agree that the overarching narrative doesn't work, but I haven't beaten it. But I yeah. do think, and I mean, even even a lot of folks who enjoy the books find the short story collections better. Yeah. And, you know, that could just be inherent to the character. Who knows? But, like, I found – I really enjoyed the overarching narrative, but I do think, like, some of the individual stories, like the, the Baron and stuff, were quite – definitely the game's strong points. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see this deal. I was expecting with the current – I'm going to go ahead and call it internet trend to decide that they hate The Witcher 3. Um, I was expecting everyone to just rail Hearts of Stone and be like, has CDPR fallen at last? Uh, but everyone seems to be enjoying it. I'm on board. I'm in one... general, CD Projekt Red has shown that they get DLC more than most publishers. Mm. So it doesn't yeah, entirely definitely. surprise me that they've done a good job with it. That's a good thing. It's if you like Witcher 3, have some more Witcher 3. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited for the Blood and Wine, which will be their, their huge, like, adding a new map and, like, 30 hours of gameplay, apparently. Like, it is an entirely new area with side quests and stuff. Yeah, I'm it's on like board. an expansion pack as opposed to a, you know, DLC scenario, it seems yeah. like. It, it was good to fall in love with Witcher again. Like I, I had come off that game a little, a little down on it, and maybe that's why some of the revisionist history is happening. Happened like when you finish that game, it doesn't end on a strong note. It ends on a strong note from a character standpoint, but from a gameplay standpoint, it doesn't. It, it is, it, it's outright bad how it ends gameplay wise, and that's a shame because I think that the gameplay can be really good in that game, and actually some of the enemies that I'm fighting now are playing to that strength. So. Yeah, I'm I'm on board for The Witcher again. I'll let you guys know when I played more uh, Hearts of Stone. Do that. I had a lot to talk about. I'm sorry. I just there, I there, guess there. so. What is this Rob oh, Dumb encounter? That was Gee whiz. Wow. Nice. I got nothing. <laughs>
I'll admit that was a pun, pun encounter. Okay, who's got other stuff to talk? You want to talk about Tales of this of Zesteria? Tales I want to talk about that zesty breakfast burrito. That's what it is. Tales of Zesta salty Delicious. and crackers. It's all kinds of things. Tales of Zest isn't Zesta soap. Tales of Zest soap. Uh, yeah, so that's a game. Anyway, uh, I've been playing Tales of Zesteria. It's a Tales game. It is uh, probably going to be the last PS3 Tales game because I think Berseria is PS4. Whenever that comes out, they haven't really said much about it. But uh, so I have pretty mixed feelings on on this game so far. I used to be a, a much bigger Tales fan than I am now, and I feel like the series has let me down repeatedly and at this point i'm kind of eh on it but for, i was still pretty optimistic about it um i guess just like after after zillia 2 exilia 2 was so similar to exilia 1 and uh hearts are didn't grip me at all i hated the cast of that game so this one i was a lot more interested in because it seemed like it was something of a revamp they went back to a fantasy setting um whereas exilia 2 had this um sort of like tech mixture um a la Final Fantasy, I suppose. But this one was supposed to be a return to a fantasy setting, and um, the major mechanic in this one is because the main character is something of a... He's kind of like a spirit vessel, so he can fuse with some of the party members, um, and you do fusion attacks. Um, the main guy, Saray, he accepts this destiny as, as the shepherd, which is essentially a figure who has appeared throughout history... And uses the power of the seraphim, which are angelic sort of beings that most people can't see. He uses their power to lead the world out of an age of ruin. So Saray is a young, naive dude from a, a village. He was raised with seraphim. He doesn't know other people. And so he takes this burden upon himself. And then the game progresses as you discover more of what it means to be the shepherd. And you interact with all the seraphim that he that he meets. Um, so I think it's a kind of interesting premise. I think that this is probably the slowest burning Tales game ever. And I say that knowing that Graces starts out super slow. Because in Tales of Graces, there's an entire prologue or whatever you want to call it, where you play as the, the core cast as kids. I don't remember how long that lasts. That's at least like five or six hours. And a lot of people couldn't even get through that to get into the, the main quote-unquote game for Tales of Graces. So Tales of Zestaria... Weirdly enough, um, I feel like even though there isn't an explicitly separate prologue section, it's going so slowly that I can see a lot of people dropping this game before it gets to the good part. Um, yeah, I watched I watched the first four hours on Polygon, um, and I'll admit I got sort of excited because I absolutely hated Excelia. Like, I've, I've sort of come around to that position on it of it just being this lazy sort of soulless tales game that suffers from annualization like the rest of them. Because I agree. I used to be a much bigger fan of the series, and I feel like lately they're sort of, like, Call of Dutying them pretty hard. And I like, agree with that, yeah. They get a baseline of, like, fun because their combat system is good, but then it's like, all right, like, your casts are getting worse and worse. Um, I actually sort of liked what I saw of the cast in the beginning, but I do, like, I was watching it while I was, like, working, and so, like, after, like, two and a half hours, I was like, oh, my God, they haven't left the first area. Like, they're still just like, we're going to grow up and be important. And, like, you know, I'm going to embrace my destiny. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's been, like, two hours and they haven't left the main town. Yeah. So it's... I've, I've never played any of the, the Tales of games. And I was kind of curious. And so since the new one's out, the cycle is sort of beginning again. Uh -huh. Is 
based on your impressions so far, do you think this is a good starting point? Because I've heard about like the the slow the, the slowness of like the earlier games, and there's always it seems like there's always something about these titles that turns me off to playing them, mm, even though yeah. I think I sh- they, even though I think they look kind of fun. Yeah, uh, it's a little tough to say at this early point. I think that based on because I'm about nine hours in, and okay. from what I've seen, I would still say that maybe Vesti- uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Vesperia is a better starting point. I think that's kind of the baseline, quote unquote, best game in the series. A lot of people love Symphonia. I love Symphonia, uh, but it's definitely dated. Whereas I think Vesperia sort of takes the same Symphonia core and has enough more modern presentation and modern elements to make it more palatable. Um, I also right. I also think Abyss is amazing, but it's a little glitchy on PS2 and sort of uggo. It's, it's also yeah. real uggo on, on a 3DS. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just an ugly game in general, but I... I, I, I Abyss has my favorite cast. Yeah, Abyss has my absolute favorite cast, followed by Symphonia, and if I had beaten Vesperia, I'm pretty sure I'd love that one too, because there's a lot of love for Vesperia. It's sort of a shame, too, because, like, Vesperia, I think a lot of what people liked about it was that it's sort of, like, the characters were not your traditional, like, Yokuganbare, like, shonen JRPG protagonist. Like, Yuri is sort of, like, a dark and brooding dude, but not in, like, the cloud way, but in the, like, a pragmatist kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a shame that it's impossible to play Vesperia the way right, you should. Xbox yeah, 360. I, 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 wish the P- I wish I wish we'd gotten the PS3 version. I would have right. played it. I think the, the, the thing about the Tales series is that it is, it's sort of becoming an annualized thing. Um, I don't think that they're necessarily... I mean, they're not hitting the level of Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed where it's like... I don't, I don't think they're that indistinct at this point. They, they are still... They have their own unique systems, and um, I think the casts are generally pretty strong. And the thing about Tales games is they, they rely really heavily on tropes but then the good ones subvert them in really interesting ways. Like uh, Tales of the Abyss, this is a spoiler for a 10-year-old game. I, th- I think we may have even talked about it on this show. But basically the main character does something colossally stupid that leads to a lot of people dying. And the rest of the party straight up says, you're an idiot, we're leaving you behind, bye. And you have to spend a good portion of the game winning back their favor, which I thought was interesting because usually it's like, in these games, you would expect everybody to say, it's okay, well, oh well, power of friendship, we we understand. They're all like, no, you idiot, why did you do yeah, that? Yeah, like, they do a real, because like, he's like a sort of a spoiled brat, and like, they don't really like him that much in the first quarter of the game. So when that happens, like, and you end up in this scenario where they're only with him, the ones that are, because they need to be by necessity. And they're like, they're like straight up mean to him. They're like, you're an idiot, I can't believe you. And like that makes for a really interesting character arc. Like, I think that's why I like Abyss so much is that mm-hmm. like guy is his best, like one of the other main characters is his best friend. So he's like, yeah, we're friends. So I'm still with you, but you're an idiot. Like you have really screwed up. And like, that's just not a common dynamic. I think in these kinds of things, it's always like we're friends. It's okay. Yeah. I agree with that completely. So Zestiria from what I've played, I have uh, five characters in my party. And I think that they've started off, more or less tropey. Um, I, I can already see how some character arcs are going to go, and I—I I mean, how they might diverge from tropes, and that interests me because I don't know for sure. But I have some ideas brewing, and I like that. Um, I generally think the designs are really good. The only one I'm not really a fan of is the uh, is Dezel, the guy with the 
He looks like a One Piece character. He's got a... Oh, the guy with the hat? Yeah, the top hat, and his eyes are permanently covered by his hair, which I'm sure will be a story thing. Like, he has no eyes! Or something, and that's gonna he, matter. He, he breathes through his eyes. <laughs> something He's like a friggin' that. eye breather. Yes, friggin' eye breathers. The new mouth breathers. So can't trust him. No, you can't. So I think Zestiria, it's, it's off to a really slow start, but I, I see it getting better as it goes, which is, you know, a positive and a negative. I mean, at least it's not getting worse or it's stagnating. But the combat system, um, because that main mechanic is, is armonization, is com- it, that's what they call it, combining with the other Seraph characters, um, you, st- you have a considerable chunk of the game, probably the first four hours, where you can't access that yet. And so the battle system feels incredibly limited. It's like, I don't need, you can't even tell what's going, you know, like what the strategy is. And this game does not have MP whatsoever. Like they completely eliminated that. It is all just HP and uh, I think they call it CC again. I forget. Um, if you ever played Tales of Graces, you know that that game basically had like a, a system wherein you could execute attacks as long as you had CC points. And then yeah, once I you went to zero, yeah, that's like the. Stop. That's like the Tales of Destiny remake, too. Yeah, so you, you'd have to like back off a second or guard or whatever and wait for your CC to refill, and then you could uh, continue your assault. This is a similar thing, but uh, it, it feels weirdly limited, and it, it doesn't feel incredibly strategic in the beginning because you have your two different kinds of attacks. Like, you have your standard attacks and then your special arts. And uh, the special arts aren't costing MP. They're just sort of like... You just throw them in your combos wherever you want to. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I don't understand what the strategic advantages of using those. Now, I mean, now I know that there's a rock, paper, scissors system in place where, wherein, like, I forget how it is. I think it's, like, normal attacks beat spells, spells beat um, arts, and then arts beat whatever. I, I'm all turned around. But there, there is definitely, like, a, a triangular power dynamic happening with those. So there are some... The, the battle system itself is, is okay so far, especially as it's opening up for me. But the camera, as you may have heard, is absolute crap. It is so bad. It is one of the worst cameras I have ever seen in an RPG. It's like, and if you're playing co-op, forget it. The camera is just going to hang on walls, and you're going to see inside of wall textures the whole fight. I mean, it's like, like I know that that's very hyperbolic, but I was trying to play co-op with my roommate, and just about every fight was like, I okay... You move too far in the wrong direction, and the camera is trying to center on you and not me, or me and not you. We can't see what's going on. I'm just going to mass circle until the battle's over. Um, it is extremely bad, and it's surprising they, they because changed. there was a lot of backlash. Go ahead. Right. They, no, I, I heard. I actually was going to ask you. I, I heard that coming out of Japan, there was a lot of backlash against Zestiria, and I was wondering how much of that, like. It, like you or if any of that you've noticed like yeah in so this, there's in the two I major actually, I, I wanted to comment on that question too like because I felt like a lot of the backlash was just because that one girl Alicia was like mostly DLC when it seemed like she was gonna be main so I just wanted to piggyback on Peter's question and ask how much of that do you think seems to be just due to the DLC thing yeah so for those who don't know the two major things that were criticized when this game was released in Japan were the battle camera because what the reason why the battle camera is so bad is because they they wanted to make it so that the battles would happen with a seamless transition. Like, they would just occur right. in the area that you're running around in instead of transitioning to a separate battle screen. And what that means is that they had to adjust their area design to make every area, like, a series of large rooms or, or huge outdoor environments. 
And when you're in smaller corridors, which do exist, it just doesn't work. By nature of the design, you, their camera has like a sort of overhead uh, behind the main character. It's not a side-scroller like usual Tales games. Um, it's a little bit closer to Grace's, but more panned, panned down and zoomed in. Uh, and because of the nature of that, it just doesn't work super well. So um, that camera, they didn't fix that. And I think it, it's better if you're playing by yourself. Um, and it doesn't completely break the game for me, but it is certainly a huge detractor. I mean, it, if somebody said that they didn't notice the camera, I would call them a liar. There's no way you could not notice the camera getting in the way. So that's a thing. And then the other thing was this character, Alicia. Before the game was released, they were, they were releasing um, portraits and info about each of the main characters. And there's this girl who's like a spear user. She looks, she has a cool design um, and it was sort of marketed such that she would be the heroine of the game. And shortly in, uh, not as far as I've gotten in the game, although it seems like I'm, I'm getting close to that point, pretty early in the game, she just leaves the party forever. And then this other girl comes in to replace her. And it's not like they have similar, they don't have similar fighting styles or weapons or anything like that. So like, Anything that you got for Alicia before that, any spears for her or costumes or whatever, it's just all gone into the ether because she's no longer playable. Um, so in response, uh, Namco Bandai, or Bandai Namco, whatever they're calling themselves now, released a uh, DLC episode called Alicia's Story that takes place after the main game. And uh, for the first month of the game's release, uh, including here in North America, it's free. So that's kind of their way of making up for the fact that she essentially leaves the cast, which is interesting. I mean, that's they, they did something about it. They definitely could have just been like, deal with it. That's how we wrote the story. But it is kind of strange. It does strike me as strange that there was a character that they, they put so heavily front and center before this game came out, and then they remove her from the plot. But uh, I still yeah, have her well, in the party as far as I am. It sounds a lot like what why people were so sort of flabbergasted by Flynn in Vesperia, who, for all intents and purposes, is marketed as, he's going to be your bro character and be with yeah. you. And then Flynn leaves, for, except in the PS3 version, obviously. But, like, it seems like they... I don't understand why they hold back these characters that people clearly want to play as. And that's, like... It's not exactly a tradition that the series has not been doing for a long time. Like, Destiny did it, too, with Leon. Mm-hmm. Like, Leon leaves your party and never joins you again. And then, like, re-release the game, and now you can get a way to play as Leon. Then they take Flynn out of your party in Vesperia, and then they really release the game, and there's a way to play as Flynn. And they yeah. take Alicia out, but there's a way to play as her. And I'm like, you guys should just stop doing that with your three characters. Right. And there's a story dynamic happening because um, the battle system, it, it accommodates a four-character party. And because most of the party are the Seraphim characters who Saray confused with, um, you have, the, you have the, the party of four split into two pairs. Alicia can't fuse with anybody, so it's kind of like she's just functionally worse as a character um, because the character who comes to replace her later, Rose, can fuse with the Seraphim. And they go to great lengths, though, to, to make Alicia out to be... Like, like Saray is the shepherd. And so they create the situation where Alicia becomes his squire, quote-unquote, which is a special title, and a spe- it gives her the power to eventually sense the Seraphim that normal people can't see. So... It's, it just seems strange to me that they have all this buildup and they're working really hard to make Alicia a central character in the story. And then they bring in this other girl later on who, as far as I know, I haven't gotten to her in the... I've seen her in the game, but she hasn't joined yet. As far as I know, she just sort of takes Alicia's spot. And it's like, where's all that buildup? Where's all the... Where's the character arc that I was looking for, you know? 
all of Alicia's yeah. development serves no purpose if she's just going to leave you. And get yeah, that almost sounds. That 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 almost sounds to me like two different drafts or something. Like this, like the story got changed mid development, and they just kind of had to reconcile it. Like that I, I don't really know. Possible. That just sounds really strange to me. Or I wonder if they ran out of time because these games are on such a tight schedule now. Like, because like it's yeah, not like true. It's, you know, like they've had Tales games in the past where you had to choose a character over another. Like you get Kratos and Zelos, and they fight kind of similar, so it's not a one-to-one comparison. But they're drastically different characters, and you don't find out what the deal with Kratos is if you have Zelos and vice versa and Symphonia. So it's not like there's no precedent for that, and that's not okay. So it, or it seems like maybe a draft thing, or like originally, if there were more time, you were going to choose between one of those two, but then they just right. didn't have time to do it, and you know. So it's it's it it's weird though, because like I I feel like a lot of the problems with this series that keep cropping up, because I again was a pretty big fan of it, are it, that it sounds like they're just rushing the damn games out. Like it's like, well, we gotta have tales out now, and like, like that was I I I want I wanted to segue that into another question too, which is. My main problem with Zillia is that the game is clearly rushed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, here's a bunch of palette swap areas, like legit palette swap areas and wide open circles to run around. In. And I know this one has wide open areas as a result of its like camera and like new design philosophy. But does the game feel as copy paste as its predecessors? Uh, I, d- I don't want to judge it. Build- oh, go ahead. So- sorry. Building on that, too. Are you playing it on PS4? Because I no, yeah. we got a PS4 version of the game. Okay. Yeah, I'm playing on PS4. Although the, so it, the purported like improvements that. are the the draw distance is supposed to be better, and it runs at a uh, higher resolution. Higher resolution, I can certainly see. The draw distance is still pretty bad. Um, there will be times when I'm running through a field, and an enemy will just pop up in front of me a couple of steps, a couple of steps ahead, and I'll suddenly be in an encounter. That's um, the, it's the dragon's dogma syndrome. It's weird, yeah. It's, yeah. If that's something that Bob, they were working hard to fix, then it's like, oh wow, okay. Well, they didn't fix that super well. I, I was just um, waiting for a moment to get in there, and I just I, I I remembered getting very irritated with that when I was playing Dragon's Dogma. Yeah. To to your credit, Dragon's Dogma is an awful game. Never mind. Anyway, so the uh, anger. I wouldn't say that. It doesn't seem as copy-pasted, but there are a couple of areas that I've been through. I went through some ruins and some aqueducts that looked almost the same, and that bothered me because they, they just had the square hallways with the square rooms, and uh, later on it turns out that those were, two were connected, and like there was a shortcut from one to the other, and we had to escape from there, yada yada. Uh, but, but so I guess they tried to narratively explain it away, like, oh, these are ancient ruins that are built by the same civilization, but that doesn't really excuse them being the same environmental design, as far as I'm concerned. That's just kind of lazy. Yeah, and you know, I, I wonder, and this is sort of maybe me thinking out loud and wondering what you guys think. I wonder if this series wouldn't benefit from them stepping back and saying, we're going to spend two years making these now instead of one a year. I think that would make I, a big difference, yeah. Because, you know, it, I would say as a baseline, their combat systems are still pretty fun. The skits are still fun, even though now it seems like they're gearing up to sell skits. And oh boy, like their character casts are good. It just seems like the main problems are coming from the fact that everything in terms of areas and dungeons now is slowly becoming this sort of formulaic like afterthought. Like it's it, it's sort of like it's like symptomatic of what I have my problem with a lot of mobile games is that like there's no thought put into the world you're in. It's just make it look pretty and make everything hallways. 
Yeah, they're, they've talked about the the narrative background of the world to an extent, like, oh, there's some force called malevolence and it's evil and it's the shepherd's job to quell the malevolence. Um, and the main character is kind of a history buff, so he has this book called The Celestial Record, so he likes to read about the past. And yet, the areas that you go to are just like, look, it's a giant field with trees and rocks. Look, they're aqueducts with patterns on the walls. Like, I, I don't feel like the areas are especially inspired uh, whereas there are games like, I'll, I'll bring it up, Xenoblade has one of the most interesting and inspired worlds I've ever seen in a game. Yee! And this is very much just like, okay, cool, we have some forests, enjoy. But, but people on the boards was in this forest. <laughs> people on the boards were kind of comparing Zestiria to Xenoblade in that like Xenoblade was able to accomplish so much more on much weaker hardware. Yeah, and... I, I, don't I think that come also comes super harsh either. Uh, I think that Zestiria is is not a, a terrible game. It's it's a super slow burn, though. Is all I'm really trying to get at. But go ahead. I was I was just gonna jump on the I love Xenoblade bandwagon. The I think I, I can get know, behind part, that. I think part of it also comes down to the fact that they're different, not styles of game, but Tales is now the third largest RPG series in Japan, which I didn't realize uh, until recently. Um. So they're, like, annualizing it, obviously, because it's a, like a lot of anime. They've just sort of figured out how to cash cow this thing and turn it into their breadwinner. And to an extent, that's more, I don't know, capitalists make the product as opposed to artistic, whereas Xenoblade yeah. is like, we spent several years making this, and, you know, we have this strong artistic vision for it. Whereas I feel like Tales games are now, like, paint by numbers almost. Like, all right, we got to plug in our action battle system. All right, we got to plug in our quirky cast. All right. They do feel a little bit like that. They, they're sort of a, a JRPG comfort food, if you will. They're reliable. They they provide the same core battle system with a similar cast. I mean, the, the, certainly the characters are not exactly the same every time around, but you do have the archetypes that you've come to expect going on the type of journey that you have come to expect. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And, you know, not that I would say Xenoblade is blameless. I think the dungeons in Xenoblade are pretty lame, too, other than... Like, the overworlds are great, but the dungeons are sort of just hallways. But like, I, I remember getting a lot of crap from you when I said that toward the end of that game, how, like, the last couple dungeons were just like, wow, I just want this to be over. And you were like, no, uh they're amazing. Well, that's, we're, that's, not, that's not what I said. I said that the dungeons compared to the overworld maps. And the last dungeon is awesome. Mm. You don't like endgame dungeons. The last dungeon dungeons. is just space. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, 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 the real dungeon before space. That space was cool, though, too. But we, we've already established that you don't, Rob hates the finales of games. No. Not that not that your complaints about The Witcher are not accurate, and in some cases, some games do tank at the end. But I don't know if I don't think I've ever talked to you about a game where you like the ending more than the main game, like the ending gameplay. I, I've mentioned one, but I've brought up Bloodborne so many times on this podcast that you know at this point. <laughs> no, I, I I think that that game does. I I think the end of Metal Gear Solid Three. I brought that up on the very last podcast we did too. I, I think in RPGs it tends to be rough. Uh, I really liked the final Kefka fight. I really liked the end of Final Fantasy X. I, I think that they exist. Funny enough, funny enough. Okay, one of my favorite dungeons in any Final Fantasy game is the final dungeon in Final Fantasy VIII. 
I despise that game, but I actually really like the really? final dungeon. Really? Even though it's like it has all the weird mechanics that limit you? I I love that I, I love that they tried something different and from a stylistic standpoint, it was very creepy and odd. And I I think that really fit with the direction the game was going. I actually I really agree with that, because eight's not one of my favorite games in that series. And I think like the ability limiting thing is sort of doofy, but like I, I agree they did something different. The last dungeon in eight is really creepy. Like that like castle out of time and the spooky music and the organ and it's like it's very castlevania it, it feels like castlevania in places and i am on board with that every single day we should do an episode where we talk about our favorite final dungeons we are I'm down i'm yeah i'm down with doing that so tales of Zestiria, you're it kind of sounds like you're That's all over cool. the place on it I am I am kind of all over the place on it. I think it depends on how everything comes together once I have the entirety of the battle system and the whole cast. Um, as it is right now, I'm I'm eight nine hours in and I'm still getting tutorials, so it's it's not quite Final Fantasy thirteen level, but it is definitely uh, slower than I anticipated for this game. Also, my hype is diminished a little bit because I was marathoning really hard. I I beat Dragon Quest Heroes and Life is Strange in the same day. I know we're going to talk about Life is Strange. Um, and then I started this immediately. And then I have uh, Trails in the Sky second chapter coming out next week. Finally! Woo! Thank you, God! So I'll definitely be uh, I'll be occupied with that. So Zestiria is no longer at the front of my queue. My priority list, as it were. Yeah, Trails in the Sky takes priority. For me, forever. Okay. So, so yeah, Life is Strange. You want to talk about that? I, I think you Life have to. Life is strange. It's so strange. It's okay. as it gets. Let, they, no, they never say it in the game before you ask. Let me preface this. Really? I am just starting that, and then my computer blew up. Oh, no. So we should avoid anything that could potentially be spoilers. Oh, for sure, yeah. I don't the game to... looks really good. Yeah, this is a, it's an episodic adventure game by Don't Nod, who made Remember Me. But it, they Which I really of, liked. Yeah, it's that was a game that had some... Uh, cool ideas. A lot of people thought it had poor execution on some of those ideas, but it was a thing. Um, so this is a, an, an adventure game along the lines of Telltale's The Walking Dead series. Um, the venerable Bob Richardson, one of our review editors, has penned reviews of all five episodes. And the fifth one we just posted. Or did we post it even? No, I don't think we posted it yet. I just proofread it today. So it's going to be up probably by the time this episode is aired. Um so read those, but don't read the reviews out of order if you haven't played the game yet. So I think much like, and this Bob said something along these lines, so I am, I'm calling from him a little bit, or hawking from him. But uh, Life is Strange is a game that has adolescent characters doing awkward things. And the premise is, it's a girl, that you play as a girl named Max, and she discovers that she has the ability to rewind time. And she goes to this prestigious art academy, and um, in the very beginning of the game, she is in the bathroom and she, this girl, this other girl comes into the bathroom and Max sees her get shot and killed before her eyes. It's at that point that she discovers she can rewind time. So she rewinds time, stops it from happening, and the game progresses from there. It turns out that girl was actually her childhood friend, Chloe, and the two of them just sort of end up having this crazy week of uh, adventures spawned from Max's ability to rewind time. Turns out there's a lot of dark stuff happening behind the scenes at this academy that Max goes to. And that's all I'll really say in the interest of avoiding spoilers. Um, so it's a game featuring adolescent girls. Um, well, adolescents in general, because you interact with the other characters at this school. And 
the script is occasionally very awkward, but so are the people that it's representing. I think that the game tries to evoke a sense of, like, these kids are sort of stumbling through life and finding out who they are still as they're very young. And there are missteps in the dialogue where you'll kind of roll your eyes, like um, the example that I'm thinking of like is how, su- um, super not appropriate. How Final, how Final Fantasy The Spirits Within is one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Uh, that was a line uh, in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. She does say that. Wow. If you, if you investigate a TV, she says, there's a part where she's like, I love Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Like, I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> That's subtle, Square Enix. I thought you were going to say Advent Children. Ah. Yikes. There, there's a part like where these two girls are arguing, and one of them says, go F your selfie, because she likes to take selfies. So instead of F yourself, F your selfie. It's like, a, groan. Okay. Uh, people say that? I, For real? No, no, I'm like, I'm, I, that was more of a general, that's a, that's a thing. Just oh, commenting. I, I thought you were if, if, I, if I heard... You know, if I heard somebody say that in real life, I would probably back away really and, and leave. <laughs> yeah. So I think the script stumbles, but it also, it sort of makes sense that it would stumble. I'm not saying that all of that is intentional, all that awkwardness, but it really just kind of fits in with the general feel of the game. Um, it's hard for me to talk about it without giving too many, without uh, going into detail and giving spoilers, just because I've, I've played through all five episodes and the fifth one is very fresh in my mind. But it plays with with player choice. It's it's like a Telltale game in that your choices may not always lead to consequences that you would expect. However, they do give you opportunities to say they'll, they'll say like, you know, Maxwell muse to herself. Maybe I shouldn't have made that decision. Should I rewind and fix it? And rewinding and fixing it doesn't necessarily make it better because she's going to express concern about the other choice too. You just really have to think about how you want to handle stuff. Uh, I will say that. It does, up like in episode five, uh, many of your choices are represented in some way. So it's not as if everything you do is completely arbitrary. And by the time you get to episode five, it has forgotten all of those things. But the the very end of the game, um, there there is a final ending choice. And you will have that choice regardless of what small details you have uh, opted, or what decisions you made along the way. Like the ending is just one of two endings. So what you get out of that, it depends on how committed you are, or rather how invested you are in the journey rather than the conclusion. Um, but I think there's a lot there's a lot to be gained from Life is Strange, and it has some thematic material that is, is pretty rare for games of this type. There's, uh, they address, because it takes place in an academy, they, they address bullying, they address suicide, um, it addresses romantic feelings that are blossoming. Um, it's pretty nebulous, actually, how some of the character relationships are, but you can definitely read into particular romances between certain characters that you may... Or, I, I've talked to people about it, and I've had different opinions. Um, basically, the main one is it seems like Max has romantic feelings for Chloe, and whether or not you believe oh. that is open to interpretation. Uh, I believe it from from what I've seen in the game. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty damn good series. It definitely took me by surprise, and I would recommend it as I mean, so long as you can deal with its its foibles, its weirdness, its awkwardness, it's still a pretty satisfying game. And uh, I think I think people are going to be talking about it for a little while. The ending was pretty poignant. 
I'm excited. I'm really things. excited to play it. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. This is almost like discussing a, a book or something. You know, it's like, well, I just finished this book, so I can't talk about the ending. But I think uh, I I actually feel like you can extrapolate that to talking about a lot of modern story based adventure games as a whole, because it's like if you don't jive with the story they're telling, you're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, a book doesn't have mechanics. A book has, did you like the book or not? Right? right? Did you like the book or not? And with these games, they're not super heavy on like gameplay mechanics. It's more like the the narrative foibles, like you were saying, too, of the story. So like you know, if you don't get, if, I was about to say a bad word. If you don't care about zombies in The Walking Dead, you're not going to play The Walking Dead. You're not going to like it. Versus right. like you know, if you don't care about the conceits of the story and Life is Strange, you're it's just not going to be to your taste so it's right. you know what yeah. kind of story are you interested in if you can't see yourself role-playing essentially an adolescent girl um discovering parts of of herself and trying to explore like her maybe her budding sexuality or her sense of morality is a huge thing um if if that just doesn't sound like your cup of tea then you're not going to like the game it's you're playing as a, a young girl doing young girl stuff or just really just young person stuff so. Do, do you think that's why there was some like there seems to be a lot of disparity, a, a lot of differing opinions on the ending, and we're not going to go into spoiler territory on that. But do you think that's part of it, maybe that people were expecting the story to go one way, kind of like the the I gone think... the gone home argument, where everybody was expecting gone home to go one way, and when it didn't, that kind of resulted in people having different opinions about it. It's it's really hard to address that without saying anything in particular, but I I suppose right. the main issue is that. It is possible to get an ending that feels like it stands in stark contrast to everything you have done until that point. Mm. Okay. So people people have issues with that. Um, there are some elements in the final episode that, depending on your interpretation, could cheapen things that happened previously. That's all I can really say. I think that's a fair thing to complain about. If if the ending does not jive, like if all of a sudden at the end of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones was just like, I don't know, Whimsy Shire opened up and unicorns came out and everybody was happy. Yeah, but like, what my, my counter-argument to the people saying that Life is Strange has an ending that invalidates everything that came before is that it may invalidate some story beats or like some... some actual tangible things that happened to the people in the town or the, you know, in the game, but it doesn't necessarily invalidate the experience that Max has because she, she still reacted to things and still has those feelings. It's it's still a suitable ending. If not, even if it's not an ending that you may like, it's still a suitable ending to the story. I think that you have an option that will satisfy you in one way or the other, as far as I'm concerned. I think that some people may make the make a decision at the end that they're not happy with, but that doesn't mean that the other option may not satisfy them. It's God, it's so hard to talk around this game in circles. But I think that's really interesting to me too, because I think a lot of people, and not I don't make any value statement on this, but a lot of people have a lot of difficulty getting past the well. If this changes what I did, then what I did doesn't matter. Um, versus like a psychological journey, because again, I haven't played it, so I don't, I, I don't have much baseline here but i think a lot of people want an ending where they want the back to the future part one ending where marty shows up everything he did has had a tangible effect on it's making his family better now he has a cool truck and now he has self-confidence you know they want that tangible ending versus the 
you know, what if he showed back up and his family was the same, but he himself had grown? Yes. I don't know. And I think some people just aren't okay with with melancholy, with melancholic endings, with bittersweet endings. They want things to be cleanly wrapped up, and that doesn't necessarily happen in this game. Yeah, right. And I should say, my, my, my stipulation to all of these comments is that this does not excuse Mass Effect 3's ending. <laughs> um, I was just about to bring it up. Not not to get horribly off topic, but uh, Stephen, I'm glad you brought up Back to the Future 3, uh, Back to the Future in general, the Back to the Future trilogy, because we had just passed October 21st, 2015. Woo-hoo! I, I actually wanted to mention to you that I, I sat down and watched all the movies again, um, and it was the first time watching 3 in a very, very long time. A lot of people don't watch 3. No, no, you're right. And and watching it again, I was like, you know what? I, I still don't think it's a perfect movie, and that's okay, but it is way better than I gave it credit. Like, it, it wraps up nicely. There's a lot of really nice parallels to the first movie, a lot of connections that were made with the second movie because they shot them both at the same time. I came away from the third movie, and I realized why I don't like it as much. I think that the climax of the movie, like the big train sequence, is too long. Like, everything leading up to that moment is great, but then that sequence just goes a little too long. Like, I really like how Marty getting back to the future in the original is so short and snappy and, like, a really, really good action conclusion that only takes, like, three and a half minutes versus the train that just seems to go just a skosh too long. I can see that. I can see that. I I love that one, and I, you know, as a kid, I always liked three the best because it was Wild West. Right. Or then I would like two the best because in the future. I actually think two is probably the weakest movie in the trilogy in my I, opinion. I know that the, there is an argument of people online that make that, but I love the time traveling interwoven. Like, you know, I, I love Chrono Died for Your Sins. Okay. I, I love this stuff. I love when time travel does crazy stuff like that. No, no. I think two is, a, I love two. I think the reason I like, as an adult, I like three a little more than two is that three, like you said, parallels with one better. Yeah. Three is basically one in the old West, only with Doc as Marty. Yeah. And like, I think it's more character based, whereas two is more like, look at all this crazy stuff that's happening and look at what a dick Biff is now that he's, that they've admitted he's modeled after Donald Trump, which is made. It is showing us the dystopian ah. future if Donald Trump is elected president and what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and no. And so like, I love two and I think two is a little bit darker and plays, has a lot of the great film magic of like going back to the first movie and I, I i do not say two is a poor movie but i just want three goes back to being this sort of like very happy lovable charming story of these friends and their shenanigans and who they are as people at, at the risk of turning this into a movie podcast i i think we we, we have to take 30 seconds to do this because steven and i were arguing through texting the other day and i don't like arguing with Steven through texting because he's way faster than I am at that. You know, he is the Dark Souls of texting. Like, I, I just, I can't beat it. The Bloodborne of texting. You're, the, you you're the Bloodborne of texting. No, just, just real quick. I know a lot of people are being really excited or really cynical about the Star Wars trailer that was released last week, you know, Force <laughs> Awakens. But I, I feel like both sides actually have it wrong, and I'm not trying to be hipster in that. I have seen nothing that gets me either excited or pissed off about these trailers. I'm just seeing a marketing machine that's like, guess what? We made a Star Wars movie. You're going to go see it. So we're not going to tell you anything. You're just going to go see it. But maybe that's enough. I actually don't disagree with you that the trailers have not shown a whole lot substantial. I, I would disagree that there's nothing interesting in them. 
I actually I, think this is how you should market a movie because there's no reason for us to spoil that John Connor is the Terminator in Terminator Genesis in the trailer. Yeah, that was that was pretty. That was like, really that was, even they, I knew that, and I hadn't seen that the original in like and a billion years. That's like the one interesting thing that movie does, and they spoil it in the trailer. No, I'll, I'll agree with you, and. So, I, and again, yeah. I know you. I know you currently want to murder J.J. Abrams. Yes, for what he did to Star Trek. Even though I like that movie, you're, but yeah, you're you are objectively I, wrong. One of must, one of those movies must, was good. The other one wasn't. I, I like them both, but I could I could see if somebody went and made a new yeah. Back to the Future and said that Doc wasn't going to be in the movie, and then Doc was in the movie as a different in, actor. Yeah, Into Darkness was the first movie I ever walked out of being angry at. Then. <laughs> Then the Hobbit two came out and I was sad. <laughs> Give into your anger, Peter. Give into I was anger. so I was so sad after Hobbit two. Anyway, go. I still haven't seen two and three. I still haven't seen Hobbit two and three. I, I'm missing much. You are you but are not missing a lot. The the thing is is one of the things I like about J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker because he's not perfect. And again, I would I would caution against too much saying that he's going to have a ton of impact. This is a Disney film, and just like with Marvel, Disney. The, the producers have a lot of control over this movie and the screenwriters versus the filmmaker. And that's why a lot of filmmakers quit making Marvel films like Kenneth Branagh because they want full control. Right, right. So there's a degree of this that he has control to a certain extent. But what he does well is that he does not spoil his film in advance. And I know you hate Into Darkness because it did Khan and they said it wasn't Khan. But there's no reason we should go into this new Star Wars movie knowing everything about it. Well, and... and- more film trailers for blockbusters need to not be afraid to just be like, yep, this is our movie. Here's nothing about it. And I will agree with you on that. Uh, when Jackie and I watched the trailer for the new Star Wars, like the music started in and we both got the feels. And I actually really like what they did with the music because it's, it's a little <laughs> slanted. It isn't a straight replay of the music from the original movies, which I think is really good. But I haven't seen anything to get excited about except i have seen a couple things that make me a little nervous but i'm not ready to write it off yet i want to go into a star wars movie and come out happy i really do i i do not want to hate another jj abrams production like i it's kind of like when jackie is right next to me listeners so please understand the peril i'm putting myself in here incoming joss whedon commentary but but don't get me wrong i loved cabin in the woods I did. So I, but I was not. I was going into a Joss Whedon experience, hoping that I would be happy, and I was. And maybe the same thing will happen with J.J. Abrams. If I am murdered tomorrow morning, you all know that my wife is the one who did it, because I'm getting very dangerously close to talking about the one thing we're not allowed to talk about in our marriage. Let's, let's think of it this way: There's no possible way this movie is as bad as the movies we've already gotten. I, this movie is at least a decent movie. There's, there, I, like, I know we want to say that there's a certain amount of art behind filmmaking, and not that I don't love Star Wars, but much with Marvel films, a company is has a controlling stake in this and stands to make a stupid amount of money. This movie is going to be focus-tested so many times that the people in charge of it are going to know exactly where every laugh comes. They're going to know where every action scene is. This movie is the product of a zillion people making sure to make something that is at least review proof. There's no way this movie is worse than any of the prequels. It's at least an okay film. The counterpoint to that, too, though, is that they know that they can release a bomb and everyone's going to go see it. I don't think they're going to do that, but they have to know that they could. 
That's true. And there's also the, the cultural weight of Star Wars. There's also the fact that there are four other Star Wars movies in production right now. There's Episode Eight, Episode Nine, and the two spin-off movies, five of those movies. And, and to be and to be fair, I'm actually way more interested in Rebel One than I am any of the other Star Wars movies. Rogue One looks amazing. Uh, sorry, sorry, Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm way Rebel. more interested in that. Rebels is a pretty good show. But... So, anywho, we, we, I, I didn't. I wanted to get that out there because I think Stephen. You know, I, I love you, dude, and I, I wasn't coming through in texting. I, I was really frustrated during our argument because, I, like, I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm actually trying to be, like, right in the middle where I'm not seeing anything to get excited about, but I'm not also seeing bad things. What is annoying me a little bit, though – again, I said we weren't going to do this, but we're going to do this. What is annoying me, though, is that now we're having the revisionist history on episode one where people are like, no, if you take Jar Jar out, it's a great film. I'm like, no, no, it, it really it really isn't. Like, Jar Jar is the least of the problems in episode one. Like When I saw episode one as a kid, I enjoyed it. And then it you was only later that I was like, "Oh wait, this is yeah, new. yeah." But 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 I think that trying to justify a problem with Episode One, which is Jar Jar, is annoying. Jar Jar does not explain terrible acting, nonsensical plots, uh, really racist characters in places. Like it, it really doesn't. I, it I doesn't explain everything. I wouldn't go so far as to say terrible acting because you could argue that most of the most of the originals have some pretty wonky acting. I think it comes down to bad direction and bad writing because Natalie Portman is not a bad actress. Ewan McGregor is not a bad actor. Neither is Qui-Gon Jinn. Liam Neeson. And yep. Qui-Gon Jinn, I prefer to call him that. It makes me feel good. But, okay. you know, you have it, a lot of it had to do, you know, and if you watch the making of these films, it's clear that everybody other than Lucas involved with it was like, oh, my God, these is, this is going to be a bomb. Yep. Okay. Moving, moving on. I just want to get the Star Wars thing out there. I felt like Stephen and I needed to clear the air there. So, uh, speaking of relevant news topics, Stephen, you want to talk about a ten-year-old game franchise real quick? I, w- I would. Li- I think it's actually older than ten years old. Oh, we, we got them ten years ago. Yeah. So, in between the massive number of months since I was last on the show, uh, I downloaded the Phoenix Wright trilogy, and since I didn't have internet for my first month here, uh, I beat the first three Phoenix Wrights, and I beat Ghost Trick, and I am now halfway through Apollo Justice. And I just want to join the crowd of people who love Phoenix Wright because it's amazing and Maya's amazing and so is Pearly and the music is good. And the story I, is awesome. I really like Phoenix Wright as well. I, I, I think going from the uh, the first Miles Edgeworth game, that was my first exposure to the series to Phoenix Wright 1, which has a really like hardline fail state. That was a little jarring, but I still really liked it. Phoenix I, Wright 1 does not have a hardline fail state. Phoenix Wright 2 does, and only oh, really? in the final case. Yeah. Really? Oh, okay. I, I felt like fail. I could fail in 1. You cannot fail anywhere except for one particular case in two, really? and they make it very obvious. Yeah, you can you can never get locked out of progression. You mean in one? In one, two, and three. Oh, okay. I, I really because I I felt like if you if you make too many wrong moves, like you fail, correct? Well, you fail in court, but you can just save and load. Right, right. But that's but that's what I mean. Uh, okay, so we we have different definitions of a hard fail state. No, what I, what I mean is that I I felt like Miles Edgeworth was a little bit more like lax with that. Like it let you make more mistakes. Whereas I I always had like this. Th- there was a little bit of tension with Ace Attorney. Like I'm going to make a mistake and I can only make so many of these. There was a little bit of tension there. But I, I uh, yeah, the yeah. So, so in the first one you have a certain number of strikes, and then from the second one on you have a meter. Right. And depending on how big your screw up is. But you can literally just like, you know, it's a, it's adventure game. So you save your game, and if you make a mistake, you just load. Yeah. Uh, but you can make a certain number of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, when I when you said fail state, I thought you meant like you pick the wrong item and you can't possibly win now. No, that 
Okay. That doesn't happen. Um, how did, how are you playing this trilogy? Was there a re-release on DS? I can't remember. There's the so they they did an HD release on iOS and then they released that on on the 3DS and so I just downloaded it digitally. Um, okay. This is a series that uh, some of the cases are not as good as others, uh, but the characters are just I just want to give them all hugs and I love them. Uh, <laughs> the the writing is really charming. There's a lot of dissonance between the fact that the localization is trying to tell you they're not in Japan when they clearly are. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it gets Eat especially hamburgers, notice- Apollo. It gets especially noticeable when there are characters who are clearly Japanese wearing Japanese things, and they're like, "Look at this guy who thinks he's in Japan," and it's like, "Cause he is." <laughs> like there are things that are visually Japanese, and they're like, "Oh, a quirky Japanese guy." It's like you mean a quirky guy who's like every other man here. Uh, but it's you know it's just such a they understand pace so well, and they get it's just I I can't say enough about. The fact that this is a game where, yes, there are rough patches, particularly in 2. 2 is probably the weakest of the original trilogy. Um, and then 3 is just this nonstop barrel of awesome. Um, they just, they get excitement and, like, you know, adrenaline pumping moments really well. The music is great. It's just, it's a really fun, it's, because, you know, at first I always thought they were, like, adventure games and that they are, like, you know, courtroom, you know, like, solve these weird puzzles it's they're visual novels where you have to use items and that's in you know, that thinking of it that way like they're basically just really great visual novels phoenix himself is a really fun character his partner maya is sort of annoying at first and i was like oh i don't know if i like her and then i realized by the end of three that i was legit like as in love with her as the narrative wanted me to be uh-huh. and like you know all of the, the side characters like detective gumshoe who might be the coolest character ever. My God, like, I love Gumshoe so much. Seriously? He's like, he's like chronically wrong, but he's always got your back, even when he says he doesn't. And like, he always shows up at the last minute and saves the day for you. He's like, I got the right evidence. I feel like he's the scrappy do of the Ace Attorney series, and I just can't no, no. stand him. He, really? He's, not, he's so. You only played the first one, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, so I haven't played Edgeworth. Edgeworth, I've been told, is sort of zero sum and not that great. The first one, I've heard the second one is good. We didn't um, get so the I, second one, did we? We didn't, nope. but you can you can totally play it in English if you really want to. Um, okay. uh, but no, Gumshoe is great, and like he has his theme music. Like they just get they understand characterization so well in those games. Like you always get happy when you show up to an area and it's quiet and the text bubble pops up, and then all of a sudden someone's theme starts playing. And at this point, you've known it for three games, so you're like, it's Gumshoe, and like or like you know they have all these like ticks that you associate with characters like there's the prosecutor from the second one who is actually what i think the weakest part of the second one is she's just too over the top but they rein her in the third one when she shows up and like you hear like the, there's a sound effect she uses a whip a lot and it's sort of obnoxious in two because that's just way overused mm-hmm. but then in three you don't know she's coming and all of a sudden you go Whoops, and you're like oh my god like they just they really get character well in those games and uh the 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 final case in every game is without exception awesome. The third one, so the 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 big song that's popular in that series is like the cornered theme from the first game, like the do 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 do, like that plays when you're when you're pressing a witness and you just about have them, and like you know they have a different theme in each one, and then like the final case in the third game, like the last ten seconds they remix that song when you're about to beat the final boss of the game, basically, and it's just the most exciting thing ever. It's so good. 
Um, how, how long did it take you to go through all of them? Because I, I have been meaning to go back and do that. They're not they're not super long. Um, and you know you can use a spoiler free guide, and I don't not advocate. Normally, I wouldn't advocate for that, but there are some occasions where it's just like, all right, I have thirty pieces of evidence. What the hell do you want me to do? Yeah, um, I, I was playing it in that in that sense. Think, like I was playing it with a spoiler free guide. Yeah, think of it as a visual novel, and don't feel bad about using a guide to get progress because it's a game where you're very much supposed to be eating up the story. Um, and sometimes there's just adventure game BS of like, wait, you want me to do what with what now? Um, I, I don't think it hurts the experience too much to have someone tell you, no, press on this statement or do that. Um, I would say probably each game was about maybe seven or eight hours um, at most. Um, I probably got through the third game fastest because the third game is so good. Hmm. Uh, the, 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 um, the first one, I was learning the series, so it probably took me maybe eight or nine hours. The second game took the longest because it's the one that's the I would say probably the most obtuse in certain parts and it has probably the weakest case in the original trilogy uh and then the third game goes by really fast because it's so good because three of the five cases no four of the five cases are related in some fashion um I would I, I've been trying to get everyone to play them that hasn't played them they're fantastic don't go into it expecting an accurate portrayal of the law but I, I don't think anybody was doing that, honestly. Well, I went in thinking it was like, oh, yeah, it's accurate portrayal of the law. And then all of a sudden someone shows up at the last second and is like, no, I have evidence that proves it wrong. And I'm like, that's not how courts work. Uh, were you expecting it to be like Benson and Stabler just like kicking a door and just well, like. No, get, I was like, expecting people. them to be like, here are these rules of law that are realistic. Like they have rules and they follow them, but they're not the real rules of law. But it's it, they're super fun. I, I think you would probably enjoy them. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I really but, like the first one. I like Miles Edgeworth. So I, I just think that... Okay, if you like the first one and you like Edgeworth, you should play 2 and 3, because 3 is fantastic. I'd probably have to replay 1 just to remember what happened. <laughs> um, Not necessarily. If you remember the big characters, I think you'd be okay. Like, they recap a lot in 2 and 3. Like, if there's something important, they recap it. Um, as long as you remember who's who, you're, you should be fine. Okay. Um, I also uh, started Apollo Justice, which, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight, it was like the restart of the series, sort of like Devil May Cry 4 with a new character. Um, but it, it's it's pretty tonally different. Um, I like it so far. I think it has the best first case of the first four games. The first case in, in Apollo Justice is a fantastic. Um and it's, it's sort of polarizing because they got rid of a lot of the old cast, which is, I think, okay, because they have this trilogy where they sort of finished a lot of people's stories. The only returning character so far is, has been Phoenix, and then this character that they added to the first game for the DS release. Um, but Apollo himself is a fun character. Uh, your partner character is a magician, uh, which is funny. Um, it, it's a fun game, though. It's... What's that? There's a second Apollo Justice game coming out, or already is out? So, what happened is Apollo Justice comes out, you play as Apollo, and then there was like a seven or eight year gap uh, in both Japan and I think the US, uh, and then Ace Attorney 5 came out, which is in the US called Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies, and in that game you play as Phoenix and Apollo. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is sort of an interface spoiler because, at, I mean, at this point, the games are old enough. At the beginning of Apollo Justice, what's shocking to me is that Phoenix has been disbarred as a lawyer and is no longer a lawyer. He's like a schlubby piano player who can't actually play the piano and wears a beanie all the time. Yeah. So they do. He's like, I, he's like he hangs out at bars. He's basically a drunk without being an alcoholic. Correct. And he's got like all this weird like 
you know, there's all these rumors that he falsified evidence. And so like, on the one hand, there are all these things that he does in the beginning of Apollo Justice that I'm like, oh my God, that's not Phoenix. But then I'm like, wait, is this really good storytelling? Because Apollo is a character who grew up with Phoenix's legacy and is like, Phoenix was this like amazing lawyer that I looked up to. And so Apollo is like disappointed with Phoenix because Phoenix has evidently falsified evidence. You know, in the first case, he sort of manipulates you into doing something that in a, in a certain perspective could be unethical. And Apollo gets really mad. And I was mad, too, because I'm like, I just finished this trilogy where Phoenix is like the paragon of justice. What the hell? And so I was like, I feel like the character assassinated him. But then I'm like, wait, no, is this really good storytelling where they're going to turn around to me and I'm supposed to be sympathizing with Apollo, whose hero has disappointed him? And I, I strongly suspect that's the direction it's going in, especially given the interface spoiler of knowing that in Phoenix Wright 5 or in, a, in Ace Attorney 5, you're playing as Phoenix again. So... You know, there's that sort of, it has to be going somewhere. Um, and then six was recently announced, and that when you play as both characters again. Um, and then that's, there's also the uh, Dai Gyakuten Saiban, the one that takes place in uh, feudal Japan. Yes. Um, as, and you which, play as Phoenix Wright's ancestor, but that, yeah, I don't know. If it's and you hang out with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. It sounds great. I don't think they're ever going to localize it. I hope they do, but... Like, there's a lot of interesting problems, because since they've made the characters American, and the game takes place in London, and they get, like, subjected to, like, English racism against Japanese people, it would be weird to translate in that and be, like, all of a sudden, like, yeah, Phoenix is a Japanese ancestor who hangs out with Sherlock Holmes. Like, they would, they've written themselves into a predicament there, I think. Hmm. Um, but no, yeah, it's... I love that series to death. I get why it's so popular now. Um, I wish I had played it sooner because it's just like, it's warm and fun and funny. And like, it's got lowbrow jokes. It's got clever jokes. It's got great characters. I just, I could not say enough good things about it. And I'm enjoying Apollo a lot too, as a very different kind of game. And I don't, I've talked too long, but ghost trick is also a great one shot. Same creators as Phoenix, right? Ghost trick has the, just the warmest, fuzziest hug your pets ending ever. And I love it. I did um, like that. I, I really. It's funny because you were talking about how much you loved it, like over and over again, and I couldn't remember anything except the ending and how much I love the ending. Yeah, the ending is just what I like about Ghost Trick versus a Phoenix Wright game is that Ghost Trick Phoenix Wright games tend to have a filler case or two in the middle that are good and fun, but not explicitly related to the overarching story. Uh, Ghost Trick has none of that. Ghost Trick is one hundred percent one story that takes place over like nine hours. Um, and it's just such a well-paced mystery, and it's one of those mysteries where when you find out the core conceit, which is you know, your character doesn't remember his identity, um, you go back and you play, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe how it was staring me in the face. Um, and another case where it has, a, like, all the Phoenix games and Ghost Trick end with all of the characters taking a photo together, and we all love each other, and yay, happy. And some might call it saccharine or too too sugary, but I just love it. Can't, can't get enough of it. So if you haven't played those games, I advise it. Although you can't play Ghost Trick on iOS because Capcom removed it from the store and from people's list of downloads. What the oh, hell? Great job, Capcom. Yeah, great job indeed. But Capcom? Capcom? It, it's funny, though, because I'm, I'm like, oh, great job, Capcom. And then I'm like, yeah, but then the last seven games I finished have all been Capcom games. And I'm like, damn it. Capcom used to be amazing, and now they're just okay. 
Well, let, let's hope for that. Let's hope for that Resident Evil remake. Let's it's true. Let's just hope. Peter, what do you got for us today, bud? Well, I haven't. I, I'm. I got my copy of Dragon Quest Heroes, but I haven't started it yet. I, I wasn't originally going to buy Dragon Quest Heroes, but I ended up getting it because I really want Dragon Quest in the West, you guys. Yeah. Can we? Can we just stop there for a second? Just, just real, real briefly. Wait, yeah. Are you about to bring up the crowdfunding localizations? I'm going to bring up both things. I'm going to do Okay, because that's fascinating and I want to talk about that. Okay, I am going to let you talk about that cuz I don't I don't know what my opinion is on that. But I I I'm so conflicted on it. But I'm getting really tired of every time somebody says to Square Enix, whoever has a microphone, they go, hey, we'd really like to see, you know, some of them, their Dragon Quest games, you know, the real games released in the West. And the response has always been, well, we kind of have to see how Heroes does. Like, I understand that that is a marketing reality, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, because I don't think people that are necessarily buying a Muso game are the same people that are interested in Dragon Quest. But then again, if you like Dragon Quest, you're probably going to buy a Muso game, whatever. But do not hold a gun to my head to make me buy a game I'm not really interested in to get the game I'm interested in. Don't do that. D- 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 please. Please don't do that. That's really annoying. Like, I-, I get that that's a marketing reality. But that... Mm. No, that that, that, annoy- that that annoys me too. And, and at the very least, I just played Hyrule Warriors this past summer, so... And I enjoyed it, so I was I was still okay with, with getting Dragon Quest Heroes. But I definitely was was that was not the prime one of the primary games in the series that I was like, oh man, I totally need to play that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm every day holding out hope that we get Dragon Quest Seven on 3DS. Like I am like, I I am I I want it so bad. And for them to kind of like like now, I I played Heroes at E3. I was not really into it. I don't really like those games to begin with. That doesn't mean that this is a bad game, but it's not my type of game. I want a traditional Dragon Quest, and I feel like I am being pressured to buy something that I don't want. I think so. I played it at E3, and actually, I, I don't especially care for Musou games either. Uh, my roommate played Hyrule Warriors, and I thought it was cute, but I was like, I clearly don't want to play this. I actually want to play Dragon Quest Heroes because it's like RPG yeah. warriors with the party. Um, I definitely am excited to play that. And I totally I mean, get that people feel like they're being like, you know, kidnapped into buying this so they can get more Dragon Quest games. Maybe yes. it's, it's sort of like back in... it's a Muso game, but yeah, it's, it's, I feel like, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just, it's, it's, a Musou game at its core, for sure, if you don't like Dynasty Warriors, if you don't like any of those, then it's not going to appeal to you. But it has more unique elements and enough callbacks to Dragon Quest that I really feel like it is elevated beyond other Warriors games. I mean, even more so than Hyrule Warriors for me. Uh, I agree. It's, it's easily the most fun I have ever had playing one of those games. And towards the end, it got pretty grindy for me, and I, I wasn't really as into it. Um, and the story can be kind of hokey, but the production values are off the chart. They are crazy good. Hmm. Like, the localization and the visuals and the attention to all the little details that make it feel like Dragon Quest are seriously impressive. Go ahead. Not even being a fan of the series, that was apparent to me. And, like, having only watched Hyrule Warriors, all of it, and knowing what I know about Dragon Quest Heroes, it just feels more Dragon Quest than Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors felt like a Zelda skin for Musou. Dragon Quest Heroes feels like a Muso framework with a Dragon Quest game in it. I completely um, agree. 
it's sort of I get why people are upset about it too because it's sort of like in the mid two thousands when Namco Bandai was like, if we don't buy Tales of Legendia, we can't release Tales of the Abyss, and I'm like, but Tales of Legendia sucks, and Tales of the Abyss is awesome. Can That's you just not give fair. Me the Tales of Legendia soundtrack, please, and then. Correct. Exactly. The Tales of Legendia soundtrack and that one sequence that's pretty funny with the character who's not Zelos. <laughs> that was vague. Um, oh, side note, um, Tales of Zestiria, I know we already talked about it, but it actually has a number of tracks composed by Goshina. That they're awesome. Their Tales of Legendia, and they're by far the best part of the soundtrack because as we have talked about before, Tales soundtracks are um, almost always by Motoi Sakuraba and they tend to be pretty ubiquitous. Uh, they're like, are pretty samey, I should say. They're it's See, I, like same thing every time. I actually think it's his be- better work on the series in a while, though, compared to some of the earlier ones. Like, I I, I actually like the main battle theme, the first one. For Zestiria? Um, yeah, like, I, I actually good. think it's probably a stronger effort than the last few, maybe. I mean, it's 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 not like, oh my god, amazing, but I, I agree that Goshina's tracks are probably the best, but I think it's probably Sakurawa's strongest effort in the series in a while, yeah. in that it's not totally forgettable. <laughs> I didn't mean to I, cut. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut off Peter's opinion of the game, which which is kind of what happened. So, in order to, in kind of the essence of time here, because I want to make sure that we end the podcast at some point tonight. Um, why don't we get Peter back in and talking about the game, and then we will talk about the localization at the end. That'll be like our news break. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You're the I mean, doc, doc. Like I said, I haven't I haven't played much of Dragon Quest Heroes yet. I'm, but because I I just got it. The I, I'm ex- I am kind of excited to get into it, but I I'm I'm still do feel a bit obligated. But the other game I've been playing is actually one that De- De- I know Derek's a big fan of, or he likes this series. Uh, Yee's Memories of Salsetta, which has been it's been interesting because I played Trails in the Sky for Retro Encounter and kind of swore off Falcom for a little bit, and now I. I, and, and now I picked up the ease, and I'm like, the, the, I, and I'm en- I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's very it's like very very fast paced, very arcadey. Um, it's pretty much the anti- almost the antithesis of Trails in the Sky in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. They they go in opposite directions. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Like the ease games are sort of. Yeah, you already said it better. <laughs> that is my opinion. I'm, yeah, so I'm I'm I'm, def- I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying that quite a bit. I'm, I'm I'm curious. Have we heard anything about the PS4 Yeez game that's coming out? Nope. Aside from, yeah, see that that's that, that like two minute gameplay footage is like the main reason I wanted to get into this series, and now I'm kind of like holding out hope and waiting for. Sort of it. like how the two minute gameplay footage from Dragon Quest Eleven looks amazing, and now I want to get back into Dragon Quest. <laughs> it really yeah. does. It really does, and hopefully, Heroes made me really want to. Play. It made me want to go back and just play old Dragon Quest titles. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Just, I'll dig dig out my copy of copy of five and play that again. Oh man, so good! It's the best one it, other it than really, eight IMO. It really is a great series, and it's kind of sad to see that Square Square Enix has left it out to pasture for now, in at least as far as localization goes. And you know, there's no way we're getting all seven of those games that they haven't brought over yet. Like, no, even if they do but, start bringing them, but over I think it. we could get, we could get seven or eight, maybe. Um, I, I feel like we've got to get eleven, or have they already confirmed it? I don't remember. They have not I, confirmed eleven. I well, yeah, I wouldn't give up hope though, because keep in mind we got Tales of Excelia like six years after it came out in Japan, or what, or like five, four or five. 
we got Xenoblade multiple years after, so I don't think it's impossible. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's no hope. I'm just kind of like, okay, well, if we get, I, I really want to play seven, eight, and eleven at least. But then I look at like other games, like Bill. I think Bill actually think Builders looks really fun. The, the Dragon Quest Minecraft clone. <laughs> that does look super derpy and fun. It, it just looks really cute, and I like how it, how I like how they like it's like a continuation from the bad ending from the very first Dragon Quest where the hero joins the villain and everything goes to crap. <laughs> that is yeah, kind of like, awesome. Yeah, they have the, the one of the trailers for it is like rendered in the the 8-bit style of the original Dragon Quest. It's pretty great. That's cute. Yeah. And then but then like and then they remade two of the Monsters games, the Pokemon clones, and we're not I don't I don't think there's even a chance that we're going to get those. It makes me sad. Yeah, like to sort of segue to that they, there was that news article recently, for those that aren't aware of it, that Square Enix was talking about crowdfunding localization efforts. And I think there was sort of a mixed reaction to that. And there was the, I, I think it's understandable reaction of why should we have to pay you to make something that we're going to have to pay you for? And I 100% can sympathize with that viewpoint because it is sort of like, wait, what the hell? Um, from my perspective, as a person who is a starting local translator who would love to have more work, uh, I think it's great. And I, to me, I view it this way of when you back a Kickstarter, there's no guarantee you're going to get what you have backed. You are essentially throwing money venture capitalist style and hoping that you get a product. And most of the time you do if you're choosing projects carefully and you know you, you know you know the team. I sort of look at this as a – there's a simple reality that a Dragon Quest game is not an easy thing to localize. There's a zillion piles of well-written of text that has to be really carefully written. You can't just do a Sword Art Online localization and call it a day. You know, yeah, these no. are games that you have, you know, two decades of, 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 of material to be consistent with. You have, you know, you have to ma- maintain the integrity of the original script. Now you have to make it feel like American Dragon Quest games have. Um, and there's just tons of text and that's expensive and time consuming. And maybe, you know, I think people don't realize that if you release a localization and you make 5% profit on it over what you spent, that's not a success in business. That's not worth the money they spent localizing it. Mm-hmm. And, and I know people are like, oh, it'll just print money. No, it won't just print money. If if a small section of people buy this game and they make money on it but not a lot of money, that's not business sense. And I hate that because that you know they do they've done great localizations for them and – even as a person who's not a fan of the series, it's clear to me how much care goes into the writing of these, especially now. So to me, if you think of this crowdfunding localization as being you are you are kickstarting a product that you are 100 percent guaranteed to get. The game is already made. And this is a company. This isn't like, you know, an indie developer that might fail and mismanage money. This is a company whose sole purpose. They have accounting departments to manage budgets. You are guaranteed to get this product that you're backing. Like you are putting, yeah. you know, whatever whatever money they're asking for a localization, you know they're going to do a good job because they have teams that do this for a living and that there, there are shareholders that they are beholden to. They have a, an accounting department. You are backing money that is guaranteed to get you the localized Dragon Quest game that you want. So, yeah, maybe it costs a little more. But in the end, this seems like a win-win to me because if people are willing to pay for this localization – and even the, even if there are people who aren't, there's enough people that I guarantee will be willing to pay for it. That the company knows it's no risk. They make more money on it. 
the players get the game they want, and the people who chose not to back it still get to buy the game. And in the end, literally everybody wins here. I, To me, I appreciate the perspective of people who think it's unfair for the company to ask them to do this, but I think that's a knee-jerk reaction that's not thinking through the benefit to literally everybody in this scenario. There's no risk for you as the person backing the localization, I guess, unless the localization is terrible. But even then, you still get to play the game. I, I wouldn't go quite so far as to be apologist for a bad localization. But this, to me, seems like a no-brainer. If you think through this, there is no risk for anybody. So you're kind of viewing it as, okay, we're going to put this game out there that we're interested in localizing. We want to see how much fan response we're going to get for this. Instead of having what happened with the previous Dragon Quest games, especially where they put all this money into doing these big localizations and like Dragon Quest IX sold well in America, but not as much as they were expecting. So you're kind of seeing this as a way for them to gauge interest so that way they can select the projects that they should select. I wouldn't even call it gauging interest. Like if they put something up, I would guarantee that Square Enix could put any game up on crowdfunding localization and it'll get backed. I don't think it matters what the game is, personally. Because, you know, obviously if they put it up, they're going to know exactly how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take to localize this because they've been doing this. So, you know, from the perspective of the player who wants to play Dragon Quest, if you're, you know, if there's a subset of fans who are going to say, I will back this, they don't even have to gauge interest because if they've cut out the risk of paying for the localization, the game is already going to make a little profit. But if they no longer have that overhead of we have to pay for this localization and if we only make 5%, it's a failure. It's no risk for them. It's you're as a fan backing it, you're guaranteed to get the product because the product already exists and they have a proven track record of managing money and finishing these projects on time or at least moderately on time. But doesn't your argument that if these games were already going to make it on Kickstarter anyway, doesn't that argument already mean that they should localize everything if they're already going to make that amount of money back? I guess I, I'm missing a middle part here. I feel well, like I'm missing so something. I would, I would. The Kickstarter comparison is not 100% accurate because obviously in Kickstarter you're often backing the development of the game. Right. This is a game that's already done. Like if they said, all right, you want Dragon Quest Seven on 3DS? Here, we're putting it on crowdfunding. If it succeeds, we have the funds to fund it, to localize it. So all of those people that backed it, presumably I'm thinking get a copy because they backed it. And then right. all the people who didn't back it are going to get it because of the pe folks who did. So, sorry, what was your question? I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying, I don't think – you made a statement at one point in your argument where you said that any game that they put up on crowdfunding would pass. I don't think that's necessarily true because otherwise then they would localize every game because every game would make at least some amount of profit. I think that they would have to select the games that they want to select – Maybe not everybody is interested in uh, Terra Enigma coming to America, although they should be. But like that—that's what I'm should saying. Should they be though? Mm -hmm. I, I'm interested in playing that game someday. Maybe I think Terra Enigma is great. It's it's fascinating. But, but I, will, see, I will agree with fascinating. But you see what I'm saying there is like there's a there's an element of. If every one of these games would already make back the profit, which isn't necessarily true, then why not just localize them anyway? Why does the crowdfunding have to be a part? Oh, what I, I didn't mean to say that whatever they put up will get funded. I meant okay. to say that I think Square Enix is a popular enough company that they could put pretty much any project up for crowdfunding and it will hit whatever the goal is. Unless it's some insane KG and Afune ridiculous goal. But um, but then why not just localize them anyway? Well, that's the whole point is that, yes, they could localize it. But if they're only going to make a tiny amount of money on it, it's not businessly viable. They can't devote resources to something that's only going to make them – if you put $1,000 into something and you make 
1050 back, that's not worth your investment. So I think yes. I think gauging interest is in fact what they would be doing then. Is is seeing yeah. how how profitable it would be. That that's my point. Yeah, well, and also the money they make from the campaign is offsetting the money they would have to spend on the localization. So in the end, the fans, yes, are paying a little more. But if they're willing to do that, it's cutting the risk out for every other party involved. Because the fans are not putting anything at risk other than their dollars because they're getting the product. The people who don't back it but buy it are getting what they want. And the company is mitigating risk fairly substantially and making a higher margin of money on this. What's the first game you'd want to see? Everybody, what's the first game you'd want to see? From Square Enix or any company? Uh, Square Enix. Let's focus Let's focus on the big guys that are holding games hostage right now. Uh, seven, <laughs> seven 3D. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with that just because 8 has new features, but it is still a game that I've played before, whereas 7, I only got a little bit into the PS1 version, and it is so fundamentally different as a as a matter of it being a remake that has different pacing and such, that I'd rather see that. I think most of the things I want from Square Enix are already being localized, so I would just say whatever you guys want. Oh, well, thank you. How mag- how magnanimous of you. I, I, would, I, would, I would say 7 3DS, because I'd probably buy that. Everyone says 7's great, but the old one is a little clunky. Yeah, it about yeah. sums it up. Okay. It's an interesting discussion. I don't think everyone will or should agree with me on it, but as somebody interested in localization from the angle of a player and a person who translates, I think, to me, if I think through it, there's no risk in my mind. I I do wonder if the reaction would be different if it was a company like Exceed or Atlas asking instead of Square Enix, though. I absolutely think it would be. I think everybody would be seconds to jump on the, we love you, bandwagon, okay, we'll throw all the money you want. Yeah. People are willing to go to, um, what is it, Gaijin for Life or whatever the hell the company that made Class of Heroes. Gaijin Works. Um, yeah, Vic Ireland. People are willing to pay like $150 for a collector's edition of a game that's basically a generic JRPG. That's how badly people want localizations. Not that Class of Heroes is a bad game. I reviewed it and it was perfectly serviceable. But these are not like, not to rag on them because I think they do great localizations, but these are pretty standard RPGs that people are literally throwing hundreds of dollars at just to get a physical copy. If you're willing to do that, but you're not willing to pay $20 to get Dragon Quest VII localized, there's a dissonance, in my yeah. opinion. I, I, th- also- I think it's purely the company involved. People have been snake-bitten by Square, so they're like, no, Square's rich, they don't mm-hmm. need my money. Right? Yeah, and, pe- and I've seen people on Twitter talking about, like, well, why don't they? Why doesn't Square Enix just ask Xseed to localize Dragon Quest? Because I'm sure they'd be happy to. And there's a lot of negativity surrounding, like, Square, not just because we haven't gotten the games, but the way Square, Square has been handling them. So I guess I'm wondering if either there isn't, if there is a viable alternative to the crowdfunding option, and that's why people are angry about it, or if it's just because they think there would be better or more preferable options. Mm-hmm. I, just I, want, I just want Dragon Quest Seven. That's all I that's want. That's what it boils down to, is we want I the games. Not- I would not be willing to rule out that there's a better, better option. I just think the one that we've been presented with is not quite as... It's not as awful as everyone's making it out to be. And I, I see your points, for sure. That's where I would go with it, is that there could be a better option, but can Xe translate a Dragon Quest game right now? They're pretty busy. That's and it true. took them, like, nine years to do Trails in the Sky too. So I know, right? Oh my god. And the, that has been I would, so agonizing. 
And I would say there's a lot of parallels between the, t- the Trail series and Dragon Quest games. They're like traditional RPGs with a lot of dialogue or a lot of writing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully we do not have to wait until episode 200 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast, to finally get Dragon Quest Seven. I will. I will sit here and and hold out hope. Uh, parting thoughts, everybody. Anybody got anything that they kind of want to leave the the podcast with? This is episode 100. Any any final thoughts for the big one zero zero? I'm just kind of amazed that I'm here. Hello. Hi, Peter. Hi. <laughs> I yeah, because. I listened to Random Encounter before I joined the website, so it's it's I'm I'm very happy for you guys. You are our one listener, because I always just assume there's only one listener out there. So it was me all along. It was, it was you. I definitely do not think that is the case. The program I'm in, we went out to have some drinks last weekend, and just some random person in the program was like, I was talking, and I was like, yeah, the website I write for. They're like, what website? I'm like, RPG fan. They're like, oh my god, RPG fan. That's cool. And it's like, yeah. And then as conversation went on, it was like, yeah, I was like, on the podcast. And he was like, wait, wait, you're on Random Encounter? So there are definitely people that listen to us. Okay, okay. I, that makes me feel a little bit better. I still haven't run into somebody who recognized me. I'm always waiting for that moment in, like, an EB Games or something where, like, you're the son of a bitch that doesn't like Wasteland <laughs> 2. Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> like, he always talks about the Souls games. It's actually going to be like Derek running at me for not liking Tails and the whatever. I don't care if you don't like Tails. Tails and the whatever. This is its own thing. I will come at you for uh, complaining so much about... That that, that got really dramatic because you cut out. Complaining so much about what? About uh, you complaining about Xenoblade. I like... I, I don't... Oh my I don't God. care, man. I don't care. Oh my God! When Xenoblade X comes out, when Xenoblade Chronicles X, sorry, comes out, and you don't like it as much as Xenoblade Chronicles, I don't be mad. Uh, I 100 percent think that's going to be the reaction. I think everybody's I, not going to. I think I've the already large resigned. Reaction. I've already resigned myself to that reaction. I'm still excited. The problem is that the new one does not have. I'm really feeling it. It doesn't have the memes. It doesn't have the memes. Well, it just doesn't have characters. Like it, ha- like. All of the characters just look like generic sci-fi tropes that aren't going to talk much. It's going to be the Metal Gear Solid Five of Xenoblade. They all kind of look like they look like they were all made with the uh, custom character generator. Char- yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Which is weird. Yeah, I, I prefer some some more personality in my character designs. No, Rob, I don't care. I've resigned myself to the fact that we have different tastes, and I don't feel strongly enough about Tails to uh, fight you on it. So, well, if anything, you know, I, I just hope that we can turn each other to different types of games. Sometimes to to move out of our comfort zones. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't play Snowblade Chronicles without you guys. No, that's definitely happened. Uh, you've you guys have helped me step outside of my comfort zone and try a lot of stuff that I wouldn't traditionally even look at. Like, I think the biggest one, even though you guys have mellowed on it a bit, Dragon Age Inquisition is the one game that sticks out to me that this year. That I, I was like, this isn't my thing at all. Why even bother? And then I tried it, and I was like, hot damn if they weren't right about this game. It is a good yeah, game. Yeah, I like that game a lot. I, like, I, 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 I warmed a bit on the combat areas of it, but I still think it's a great game. Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't have played uh, 999 or VLR if it weren't for Derek. Oh, so. my God. Yeah, yeah. 999, yeah. And I would have been a bad good. person if that were the case. So good. Yeah, that that was a big one. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm. Uh, we talked about at the beginning of the show, but I've been struggling to try to get through to the CRPG genre, like the Baldur's Gates and those. I've been really trying to burst through this, and it's really outside of my comfort zone. I, I get very... 
I have a hard time with these kinds of games, but I know I know the parts that I like about them, and so it's kind of a I have to get used to the language of the game. I have to get used to the different aspects that I'm not used to, like having a party member that is my lore master, so they will be identifying objects, and then the other party member who will be my lock picker. Like that that's a very different mindset than a kid who started out playing, you know, Fantasy Star two and four were like my first real introductions to RPGs. Like everybody else was playing Final Fantasy. I was playing Fantasy Star because I had the Sega channel. Me too. And like Fantasy Star Four like blew my mind. Like I You went back and beat that like three years ago. Yes I did. And I had a ball with that game. Like that 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 and you know what it's kind of short. Like it, it's a short oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a short, sweet, punchy RPG. Like And like a lot of people think that game is really hard and it by modern standards, it's maddeningly difficult, but compared to the previous games in the series, that's actually a pretty easy game. I mean, as a kid, I died on it constantly. And I, I remember, I remember so getting killed by... I, I got killed by flies in 2. Like, immediately killed by flies in 2. Oh, yeah. The flies in 2 were... I mean, everything in 2 could kill you in one hit at the beginning. So, and of course, we, we have to give Peter a chance to plug Retro Encounter. Yeah, he's got to get got to get his ad money in there somewhere. You can just yeah, make, always make that well, check I, payable to Robert W. Steinman. I'll send it to you in the mail as soon as soon as I can. Okay. Woohoo! But but um, I just wanted to let the listeners know that on the other one of those other podcasts we do, Retro Encounter, where we fell a little behind. We just uploaded our final thoughts on Terra Enigma, but we are working on it. So please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. A lot of effort goes into making that show. Um, and even though sometimes it falls behind, uh, it's pretty rare, especially at RPG Fan, to get a podcast that three episodes come out a month. Right. Uh, and, and especially it, considering how much time you guys have to spend playing the games. Yeah, right. definitely. That's That's been a factor. And I'm, I'm going to speak for the audience here, but I think a lot of the audience is probably okay with it, too, because they're oftentimes trying to play along or, you know, not especially like I don't think it's life or death to the audience that this episode comes out around the 25th. And if it doesn't, then you're late. And we're mad at you. Uh, I think the way people listen to podcasts is more forgiving than the high standard you all hold yourselves to on the show. So I would say people should definitely go listen, because if you like folks chatting about games, which is probably the most common compliment I think we receive on this show, is that we like hearing just a group of people who get along well and have different opinions talking about games. Um, that, to a more focused degree on particular titles, is what you get with Retro Encounter, and I would strongly urge people to go listen to it, and also go listen to Rhythm No, 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 you don't need to listen to Rhythm Encounter. They, they just talk about hipster like remix albums and stuff. I mean, I, th- those guys are pretentious as all hell. Yeah, true. Yeah. So if you like our particular brand of madness, then I think all of our shows are worth your time. Who would have thought we had three podcasts now on RPG fan? That is insanity to me. We call it Rob's podcast empire. Yeah, but it ain't much of a podcast empire when I don't put podcasts out. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, we were busy and I moved to the other side of the planet. Didn't have internet. Life happened, but life, life, life is strange. Yeah. Life found a way. Oh, there we go. Oh, where the are you loop at? The closed. Where are you at? Ah, uh, well, uh, stay tuned, everybody. We got lots more podcasts to go through here. I mean, we're going to have to have a Kingdom Hearts Rob, argument at some point. You Why? are not quitting. I'm you not quitting. You are correct. not allowed to quit, sir. <laughs> I, I, I was... Everyone oh. write and tell Rob that he shouldn't quit. Part of me was going to do the mic drop and just be like, I bequeath this podcast to other people. And Absolutely I, not. And I'm, I'm walking away. <laughs>
You know, you, you, maybe you have it, to stay at least long enough for Kingdom Hearts three to come out, so that way exactly. I'm not. Having, I'm not having a Kingdom Hearts three argument with you, Steve. It's not going to be an argument though, because you're going to buy it and play it. I honestly, I don't. Well, I, I don't know. I, if you will. I, I don't know. I'm kind of out. I I, I think will, I'm out. No. I I honestly believe that you're. You may be a bastard, Rob, but you are the delicious nougaty bastard that is the center of our candy shell podcast. Oh, stop, you bastard! I just <laughs> I just want to call attention to the fact that Rob liked Kingdom Hearts one and two. I did. And Rob also said until about two months before Bloodborne that he wasn't interested in Bloodborne. That he nope. wasn't what? interested in Metal Gear Five for over a year and a half. I didn't say it's... anything about Bloodborne. I came out of E three two years ago going ah. Like you were a little like, hmm, I'm not sure. I uh, what I was tentative about was actually the stuff that people complained about, which which, which was the RPG mechanics. But I still love that game. It, it's Dark Souls three that I've come out kind of like, meh. And did yeah, you guys, I can see that? Did you guys see the hipster attitudes already started on Gamespot with their preview of Dark Souls three? Like, mm, I don't know. It seems like the magic's gone. It's like, hey, I said that six months ago, guys. Like, yeah, that's red Gamespot in a million years. So. Just saying. All right, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for more podcasts. We're going to try to get back into a regular rhythm, if you will. <laughs> yeah, there are multiple rhythm encounters coming out. Go listen. Segoy. So uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> and uh, just in case uh, you, uh, you you didn't get it at the beginning, uh, Wasteland 2 sucks. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, be nice. Sucks is hard. So, uh, be nice. Not my cup of tea. I would much rather be blowing up zombies and divinity than doing a civil war reenactment in wasteland 2 but you should give it a you should give it a try uh, make sure to send us emails as peter's yelling at me so make sure to send us emails i've been doing a bad job with that but i'd love to answer email questions on the show at some point but right now i need to eat my dinner and go greatest to- on itunes rob's getting hungry and he's forgetting things yes I'm, I'm food is right in front of me and i really want to eat it rating us on itunes especially now that we've adjusted our podcast name so we actually show up in searches so uh Please do rate us so we pop up. Oh, that makes a big difference. I know if you've been listening for a while, it might seem as if we don't need that anymore and we have this, like, ensconced place in your listening habits. But we want more listeners, and so please do rate us even if you hadn't. All it takes is a second to put a star on it. Uh, I know opening iTunes is a terrifying prospect. I would never wish it on anyone except right. a lot of effort goes into this. Uh, yes. So if you could rate us, and if you want to write a review, go ahead. Um, right. But please do do that if you... Frequent any boards like Reddit or uh, NeoGAF, which, good luck. Uh, mention that you like our show, you know? And then yeah. wait for people to be like, they didn't like Artanelico, Nell of RCU, Gordon, Han, and Quadmo. They're terrible morons. Uh, <laughs> they're still talking about us, but True. you have heard of us. And uh, as Rob said, here we are in episode 100, and we wouldn't be on episode 100 if nobody listened to our show, if it just sat there dead in the water. So. Uh, spreading the word matters and all of you who listen to the show matter thank you so much for giving us a reason to continue arguing with each other about Kingdom Hearts and, and not Bloodborne. shouting into the abyss I'd probably still be pissing in the wind though whether or not people were, were listening to it or not I, I I just have to go somewhere to ramble you're kind of like uh, Donnie from the Big Lebowski throwing the ashes into the wind and then just come back and hit you in the face a little bit a little bit so thanks, everybody. I'm going to now go eat my General Tso's Asian chicken with broccoli over bean rice and what is that, quinoa, sweetheart? Brown rice. Brown rice. What did I say? Quinoa. I said bean rice? Oh, no, brown rice and quinoa. Quinoa is delicious. No, it's not. It is. It's delicious. It is. You're, you're so wrong. 
Uh, see? All right, all right. I'll talk to you all later. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and uh, see you for episode 101. Firefly rules. No, it doesn't. Firefly. Oh. Yes, it does. Goodbye. I haven't watched uh, it. Uh,